Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to another episode of Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love hate or love to hate. I'm your host, Erin Palmer, and you guessed it. Guess who's back? Miss uh, Julie. Hello, Julie. You'll never get rid of me. I never want to get (laughs) rid of you, Julie. You are just the gem in my crown of masterpieceness. Yes. Yes, I said masterpieceness. That's a word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Welcome All words begin as words made up, so it's a word. (laughs) Yes. Much to many people's chagrin with certain words that have been added to the dictionary. (laughs) Okay. Well, hello again, Miss Julie. Welcome back for another round. Always glad to be back. Always glad to do another round and find things that I love or things that make me very frustrated. Oh, how it's going to be. I cannot wait because I love me some cranky Julie. Yeah. (laughs) I can't wait. Okay. What are we talking about today? Uh, Today we are talking about the novel Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty published in 2014. Indeed, indeed. And yes. on the flippity flop, a miniseries adaptation on HBO, also called Little Big Lies. And it was directed by, oh God, you guys, you, you test me on how much I don't know how to say French names. And I apologize in advance. Uh, Jean-Marc Vallier, I think is it what it is. He also did Sharp Objects. And I had this exact same issue last time. So still haven't learned. Uh, and that was directed in 2017. And that is starring some lovely folks such as Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Zoe Kravitz, Laura Dern, Adam Scott, and many, many others. There's a lot of big names in the show and actually has two seasons but we're only going to be covering season who won for this particular episode because that's predominantly what the book covers um so guess what guys you know the drill spoilers we're going to talk about this a lot if you haven't seen the show if you haven't read the book hit that pause button go do your thing experience in it in whatever order you see fit otherwise continue on with us and hear what we have to say Miss Julie, are you pro-source, pro-adaptation? Uh, you know, this, I usually <laughs> go for the unpopular opinion, which is the adaptation is my favorite. But this go around, Ooh. I'm going to have to say the book. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Do you want to give a quick little teaser as to why? Well, uh, let's just say like, you know, if... The general, like, you know, drama and story of this novel were like a bonfire. Mm-hmm. The series takes that bonfire, puts it in a dumpster, throws lighter fluid and gasoline and all manner of like explosive, like, you know, napalm. And mm-hmm. I forget the super explosive stuff they like to play with on Mythbusters, but that's up to <laughs> And then just like blow it to hell and back. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. What a dumpster on fire this is. Uh- yes. Indeed. Yes, yes. And actually, that being said, I did want to make a kind of full um, disclaimer for this particular episode, very similarly to like sharp objects. The topics that we're going to be discussing in this episode revolve around um, physical and sexual abuse, mental abuse, murder, um, a lot of kind of psychological abuse. So any of these are triggers for you. Probably not a good episode to sit in on. So just be warned. Um, this is kind of another heavy one because as you know, Julie and I are our, our souls are black and we need to experience it together. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Aaron, before we go much further, which do you prefer? Ooh, okay. So I saw the show first before the book 
And I actually really liked the show because I really loved Sharp Objects and I loved what he had done with it. And so when I saw this, I was like, man, this is just his like style. And I really enjoyed it. However, once I went back and read the book and then rewatched the show, I got to say, I like the book better. Like it actually kind of turned me off of the show because of the fact that I went back and read the book. So that's where I'm I'm with you on this one, actually. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Right. Well, let us get into it. Could you give us a synopsis, please, of the book? All right. So, so quick synopsis. Uh, Jane, Madeline, and Celeste are fast friends. Introduced as their young children begin their first day of kindergarten. What was supposed to be the beginning of a fresh new start was instead the beginning of the festering rumor mill of their little town. As secrets are revealed, pasts shared, boundaries pushed, and blood shed, perhaps the big little lie we tell ourselves is that it's fine. We're fine. Everything is just fine. <laughs> We're fine. That's like the my gif of my life where the room's on fire and I'm just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my life. Uh, amazing. Did you write that? Of course you did. I did. Yes. <laughs> well done. It's great, as always. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about some friends who meet each other, have kiddos, have something in common, and then a murder happens. Well, murder happens at the end. It's like... Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> you you were uh, subject to like my frustrations of this because you know I'm a big like you know true crime fan and I like me some like dark stories and throughout this entire book I'm just texting you waiting for the murder to happen, <laughs> waiting on the murder to happen, waiting for a goddamn murder to happen, and then murder happened book ends like God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a slow, 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 slow burn on the murder part. I apologize. I kind of did you dirty where I was like, it's a murder mystery. But is it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a firecracker with a very, very long fuse. You're just like, wait, watch you go. Uh, 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 pop. That, that, what? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> I, yeah, I quite agree. It's, it's an interesting format because the book starts out with they're investigating a murder but we don't know who's murder and we don't know who's involved like you know nothing you're just dropped into the middle of like interviews at the police station of someone has died and then the book kind of backtracks as to like you know x amount of time leading up to this event and so you keep getting little snapshots of the interviews that are currently happening in the police station versus what happened and people's opinions of events that transpired up until the murder of someone that you find out at the end so it's a very interesting format it's a little different than some other obviously other murder mysteries or true crime novels that uh, we have both read but I, I was very curious to see what your thought was on the uh, extreme slow burn yeah <laughs> I, guess, like, I guess the most frustrating thing is that you know the actual book summary you know teases the murder a lot and the way that's set up it teases the murder a lot yeah, it does. But ultimately, once the, you know, it's the story is over and done with, the story was not about the murder. Not at all, actually, weirdly enough. It, no, it was just like a conclusion that happened, but it wasn't your typical like, you know, oh, a murder happened and we have to find out who did it or try to figure out with context clues who mm. did what, when and figure out, you know, what their motive was and all that, blah, 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 blah. And, it, and we're doing that kind of in reverse because we're looking at these people's lives before the murder happens and trying to guess not only who it was, but who did it and why. Right. And, you know, as it gets closer and closer, like, you know, this, you know, the suspect's 
for both cases, narrow further and further down. Right. And then, you know, outcomes like a wild card. You never expected to happen. Uh Um, But the story ultimately is not about the murder. It's all the stuff leading up to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's weirdly like a lot more focus on being a social drama Mm -hmm. with a murder involved. Which yeah. is, yeah, it's it's a very different approach. And there were elements of it that I really did enjoy because you do get to see a lot of character flavor and there's some interesting character developments in there. And, like, if you were to take the murder element out of it, I think I would have, I don't know, not appreciated it more, but I would have liked it in a different way. But knowing it's supposed to be, like, the vehicle to know what happened in this murder, I was like, this is such a weird way to to go about it. <laughs> Yeah, usually the murder is the drama. Yeah, not (laughs) like the drama leads to a murder. (laughs) Yeah, not the end of the drama. (laughs) Yeah, 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 very true. Yeah, that's good point. Mm -hmm. Well, was there anything that you liked about it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean. (laughs) No, it was a trash can on fire. (laughs) It's the fact that it was such a giant tease. It was like, I'm ready for my murder. And then I was like, wait, what? I'm not satisfied. But once you like go back and think about it, it's like, yes, I did enjoy the rest of the story. It just wasn't what I thought it was, which is what like led to confused feelings <laughs> most of the time. Understood. Conflict. Like, I, I can't it. wait to get through all these women and their <laughs> problems to get to a murder. <laughs> I need more murder, Julie. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I did enjoy um, the character, specifically Madeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I listen to this uh, in audiobook mostly because uh, <laughs> I have a newborn right now and trying to read in the middle of the night, which is like I'd fall nope. asleep during it. So I had to listen to the audiobook. <laughs> and it's uh, the author is Australian and it's yep. based in Australia. So listening to an Australian lovely. Uh, voice actress was awesome. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and Same. so I just like imagine this like, you know, uh, Younger, middle-aged, you know, no-nonsense Australian woman as, as Madeline, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, agreed. I think Madeline's my favorite character, too, I think. Yeah, and, and for being, like, you know, having her own problems, specifically, like, you know, bullheadedness and, you know, wanting to stir up shit and, you know, get in everyone's face. She is the most stable character of Weirdly enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for her. Yeah, she really is kind of the... I don't know. She's kind of the the stabilizer in a really weird way for her being kind of a rebel rouser. <laughs> like, yeah, she's she's like a a fierce big sister who butts where she's not wanted, but does it in a way that you can't really fault her for. Yeah, you know, like she takes uh, Jane, who is one of our other protagonists, like directly under her wing, mm-hmm. like uh, day one like day one mm-hmm. and like immediately stands up for her when, you know, sh- her son is accused of something heinous. Like she doesn't know her son. She's only known this woman for like an hour or so. Yeah. And, and has a thought herself of like, you know, Oh good. You know, I've befriended the mother of the thug, but you know, mm-hmm. stops herself and stands up for her, which, you know, goes to speak a lot to her character, whatever her character flaws, she has good character and is a good character. Yeah. And I I think one of my favorite kind of personality traits of Madeline is she like just doesn't take shit from anybody and she's pretty blunt, but she also has a way to be like really sharp and not like it's aggressive, but she's she can be diplomatic when she needs to be. But overall, she's just like, I don't 
like I don't have time to pussyfoot around this and this is like I'm standing for what I believe in and so I really do like those kinds of character traits for her and it's not to the point of her being like a Karen you know like yeah. it's it's not, it's not over the top but at the same time it is but in a good way mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody you'd want in your corner <laughs> a Karen who uses her powers for good yes <laughs> that uses her powers for good absolutely yeah. yeah yeah it's very interesting I yeah her character is and she's like has a lot of the really funny kind of She's just a really sharp character. She has funny, quippy comments, and she does have a really like strong bond to like protect her, her sisters in arms, and her children, and her husband. And um, she also, you know, everybody's got baggage, and so they they have a lot of kind of discourse with her ex and how she had a child with him, and now he's with a new woman and has a new family. But both of their little kids are both going to the same school, so that's awkward as shit. Like, there's just like real life drama that it's like, God, how would you deal with that every day? And just kind of seeing that play out in a somewhat normal setting is kind of mm-hmm. actually nice. Um, if you can call it nice. I don't know. <laughs> well, they ha- they, it is nice because it's almost like a breath of fresh air considering all the issues we get into with Jane and Celeste, the other main protagonist. Yeah. It's like yeah, her sure. setup is – Madeline's setup is like – chaotic and messy but is it is the most normal and relatable setup right. yeah because yeah. she's got she's got what three kids two yeah. from two different marriages mm-hmm. and she has a lot of trauma with her ex she has a yeah. lot of like resentment for the new wife and that like it's a very different perspective of their relationship versus this new relationship so obviously there's a lot of tension there and yeah. that's like normal life mm-hmm. tension and having to have a co-parenting relationship that involves yeah. a teenager, yeah, uh, who is like just getting into like you know being a full-blown teenager, which I'm yeah. not looking forward to that phase. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> You're gonna have to do that uh, twice. Twice, <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, and you know she's uh, married, but I mean like their relationship is like as solid and stable as you can get in this book. Yeah, um, pretty supportive. I mean, like very supportive i'd say Mm -hmm. because it turns out that her husband uh is a journalist and he turned down having like you know a big career doing interesting big stories to have a career in the small town for a small town newspaper so that she had the time to get her own part-time job and they could be more equal co-parents which i found to be huge awesome yeah you don't see that um supported a lot these days usually it's like you know oh yeah both parents have to be out there and sacrifice a family or one's the breadwinner yeah one is a breadwinner and one has to stay home and sacrifice a career yeah yeah no that's a really great call out yeah they do make a very big point of it sounds like they are pretty open with the relationship and any pain points and you know she has like she's pretty hot tempered on occasion but he kind of helps level her out and they they pair each other pretty well yeah it's like they they are married and they are aware of each other's faults yeah, but, they but they work together e- for it they, yeah they work together yeah. for it and they support each other when needed and it's like it's like yeah it's like the best relationship <laughs> in the book <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know and that's yeah I, I agree I think it is kind of this story does have a lot of kind of angles of trauma and anxiety inducing things that it is nice to have one character that is kind of the 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 cornerstone to kind of level some of the crazy out yeah and plus you needed at least one good man so like so that this whole book wasn't just like i know man shitting, you know? i know exactly but <laughs> him oh. and the barista that, that oh the those bar- are your barista yeah. <laughs> i do like is his name jeff what was his name tom oh, tom yeah oh 
barista is very cute. I do like the yeah. barista. Um, yeah, but and I'm like I keep trying not to jump into comparison already because I'm thinking of like there's such a different tone in the show of how these are played out, and we'll get to that. But I'm, I'm like we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Uh, yeah, but then like we we have up against Madeline's character. Do you say Madeline or Madeline? I actually don't know. I think I I say Madeline. I've been saying Madeline. I think okay. that's what they were Was saying in the, in the audio book too. Okay, yeah. who knows? Um, but yeah, the other two characters are Jane and uh, blah, blah, blah. oh my Celeste. god, Celeste. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And what what are your thoughts on those two characters? Yeah. So uh, Celeste, you know, kind of has a bit of buildup as to exactly what her deal is, but uh, yeah very much escalating domestic violence is, is her scenario. Like yeah. she is the, uh, the relationship we mentioned of one person being the breadwinner and one having to sacrifice their career to be at home with the kids. And that was um, her. It, yeah. It is very unclear whether or not she willingly made that sacrifice or if perhaps she was voluntary. Yeah. Pressured into doing so. Uh, I mean, not to compare already, but it's much more clear in the show what happened with that. Very clear. Not stated at all in the book, really. It was more just like, hey, she used to be a high powered lawyer and now she's not. Now she's raising two twins. Yeah. Yeah. There there is that, uh, you know, instance. And plus the increasing domestic violence uh we kind of are in not the beginning stages but not the like full-throated like like fatal stages fatal stages Mm -hmm. but we're just like we're in the buildup of it the part where he still feels guilty about hitting her where they're making excuses for their behavior where she is in the throes of reactionary abuse which is abuse you do in reaction to being abused right so that people can so that you yourself or your partner who's abusing you can turn around and say see see you're you're you abusing, did it too you're abusing too it's like we're both at fault here not you know the guy who's actually hurting her yeah um and we see her it's like when it started like she was like okay like you know he can't do this to me anymore i'm leaving but then like you know one of the kids gets sick so she can't leave then and you know he's so sorry about it and it happened a while ago and so i guess i'll stay and then it happens again and it starts over the excuses you make to stay yeah. and you can just see not only why it happens, but how it happens that yeah. people can s- fall into and stay in a situation where it's slowly getting more and more dangerous. Yeah. Her, her relationship is a very interesting one because you know, you, you, there's a lot of tropes in there that you can see of like, you made me do this. Like you made me lash out. And then there's like the love bombing stage where they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I love you. I, I don't, I would never do that to you. I'll change. I can change. And they talk about going to like couples therapy and he's like, I'll be able to change. And like, it just, you know, it escalates and it's just kind of the same thing over and over, but it's been years of her kind of conditioning herself making excuses to stay for her children and that's really the anchor is that she's doing it because she doesn't want her children to have to suffer without a father because she she always kind of jumps back to the rationale that he's an amazing father he treats me like shit but he's amazing to the kids and that's kind of the cornerstone anchor where she she always uses that as justification to to stay and it's it's a really tragic line and it's unfortunately like domestic relationships like this it's like it's realistic to be there's so many sticky things about it's not a just oh well he hit me i have to leave him like it's not that simple yeah and it's also never true right 
because even if he never lays a hand on the kids, even if he gives them like the best childhood ever, he's showing them what a relationship looks like. And if that is teaching them to be horrible to their parent, to their partner, then he is not being a good father. Exactly. And that was, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the preface of the first like bit of tension in the book is that Jane's son, Ziggy, is accused of, um, of strangling another little girl in his class. And so it kind of ensues from this. And we're going to drop our kind of first little spoiler in here is that it's actually one of Celeste's little boys where she thought that they weren't seeing any of this violence occurring in the home and that they were completely immune to it. And then it turns out they were seeing and hearing and absorbing a lot more than that she had thought they had. And so they were lashing out because this is their role model. So it's it's really tragic to see how and they're supposed to be like what in preschool kindergarten kindergarten yeah kindergarten so they're little and this is already kind of a habit growing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like people underestimate kids a lot, especially yeah. little kids, and you think they don't see. But what I've come to find out from you know uh, learning about domestic abuse and you know from kids who are raised in it is that it is exceptionally rare that a child does not know anything is going absolutely yeah Yeah, to some degree Mm -hmm. some more than others for those who are obviously like blatantly beating their wives in front of their children versus people who are doing it behind closed doors it's like it's it's getting in to some degree and so this is a very kind of poignant way to to interpret that as you know the the husband is being abusive to the wife and the wife is convinced the kids don't know and then whoops the kids are obviously retaining some of this trauma and this is how they're dealing with it or not dealing with it mm-hmm. it's it's wild it's a pretty wild concept i've i've never seen anything quite like this with with, with children so young unless they're deliberately trying to to paint them as like a sociopath like they're they're a serial killer in the making right nah. like <laughs> It's fa- you famously cannot diagnose a child with any antisocial personality disorder oh, yeah. because they are all, to some extent, psychopaths. I know. Um, they're still developing. <laughs> they're still developing. They're still learning, you know, what's right and wrong. So genuinely, all this is is not to say that little Max, the boy who's doing mm-hmm. this to Annabella, is not to say he's a psychopath or is going to grow up just like his dad. It's in the genes, blah, 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 which is mm-hmm. kind of what Jane is worried about with uh, Ziggy, Ziggy, which we'll talk more about. Or mm-hmm. Iggy, sorry. Um, but... It just kids emulating behavior that they see, right? Like uh, that's that's the example, right? Yeah, because that that's the example. They don't know that it's right or wrong. They just it's just what they see, and so they do it until they learn what that behavior means. Like, uh, not to get too personal, but my own son, I was contacted about you know him being too rough with his classmates Uh-oh. and come to find, yeah, which was very <laughs> odd for him because you know he's a little he's sweetheart. a sweet boy. Yeah. <laughs> and come to find out that he had just been introduced to like, you know, rough house play with his, you know, his grandpa, his papa oh. and his dad. Yeah. He wanted okay. to play that way with his little friends, but they weren't ready to play that hard. We haven't learned the boundaries yet. And, yep. so we, and he hadn't, he just hadn't learned how to have that, you know, boundary conversation, how to, you know, look for cues that your friends don't want to play this way. Right. Right. Yeah, so it's not because he had suddenly turned to a little psychopath that was looking to hurt his friends. <laughs> he's a monster! You know, he's emulating behavior. And so in this case, Max sees his dad treating his mom this way 
he may have heard him make threats at her, you know, in the throes of this violence, you know, especially since Celeste does say she feared for her life a time or two, yeah, um, which end, made yeah. him like, you know, threaten, you know, more violence or death at Amabella too. Uh, not that he has any means of like, you know, making good on his threats to kill her. If but she they're tells three anyone. year, they're like four year olds, right. Or three, yeah, four, five, five. Yeah. yeah. It's like, they don't know what the words are impacting. And, and obviously like if a five year old is, being told by another five-year-old i'm gonna kill you if you say anything mm-hmm. that's truth <laughs> like th- yeah. there is this literal right <laughs> and when you hear a five-year-old say i'm going to kill you you don't take that seriously but you wonder where the fuck did you where hear did you that? hear that yeah. yeah exactly it's like they didn't just make that up they don't just pick these words out of nowhere and put yeah. them in a sentence like that they got that from some co- context at yeah. home yeah it's very very interesting and the the kind of like even more kind of complicated layer to Celeste's relationship with Perry is that they usually will kind of justify their like violence towards each other or he instigates the violence and she reciprocates they usually will end with like makeup sex or I guess aggressive sex if you will I don't know if it's technically makeup sex it's just like very aggressive so it's like where is that line of actual like passion and anger like it's really jumbled and you just the, the the adrenaline is there in both situations but you can't really pull them apart when they're so interlocked like that so it's yeah, yeah i think it's their way of justifying the behavior to each other because we just get celeste's point of view but she says that you know they're in love because after this happens you know they have like you know wonderful passionate sex um and you know it must be because they're in love and she wants it so obviously this is okay they just like the lead up to it is what's fucked up that's what we need to go see a therapist for right right we've got our demons but the sex is great (laughs) everything is perfect except like this this thing this like domestic violence between us if we could just get rid of that everything's perfect you know if only Uh, it were that simple (laughs) yeah and they they do actually make an attempt to go to therapy together but they just can't bring themselves to like directly bring it up to the therapist but we again we can't get into perry's thoughts in it but celeste is kind of like Mm -hmm. you know oh what would she think of us like you know this is a lot of image how could they understand what's happening here and she kind of like is withholding information but wants the therapist to see what's going on and call them out on it she wants Mm -hmm. to someone to figure it out for her Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to have to say it right because admitting it is a whole different situation right then it makes it real then it makes it an actual issue and a health hazard and a threat to you and your children and your relationship Mm -hmm. like it makes everything so much more serious than having to be like oh well you know we're just overly passionate we get really fiery and we just need to figure out how to like talk to each other better it's like i think there's more to it than that but you have to be willing to get to those conversations and neither of them are able to really get there and it sounds like with the book, I, I'm trying not to get too much into the show, but it seems like with the book, because we are only getting Celeste's side, it seems like she does kind of defend him a lot more, but he also doesn't correct it either. Yeah. So it's like he's kind of feeding off the fact that she's kind of given him a free pass, but he also is admitting, he's like, I've just got these demons and I don't know what to do. And it's like, right, that's fine to admit that. However, 
you can't just say I have demons and then expect that to fix everything. Oh, he does not expect that to fix everything. Um, he just is going to ride that excuse into the ground as long as it buys him time in the relationship. Because right. I right. mean, we know that it's not just this. Like mm-hmm. um, having read the book and seen the show, obviously, we know that it's not just this. That he, when he's not at home, he is having extramarital, you know, one night stands and mm-hmm. being in incredibly horrible during yeah them. and uh, then he comes home and plays happy life happy wife to an yeah. extent but it's slowly creeping but it bleeds into in that yeah. life yeah and because he knows his wife loves him and to some extent wants to maintain this lifestyle and wants to keep the kids with him that he will milk the pity train as long as he can of like, I'm sick. I have demons. I'll get help. Uh, blah, blah, blah. When he finds out that she's leaving him, like she's finally like has put mm-hmm. her foot down. She's made a plan. She's about to do it. Uh, he's like begging her, but you know, when the chips are down and he f- sees that it isn't working anymore, like the act drops, he the gets completely over the top aggressive. Yes. Yeah. In, in front of other people. Everyone. Yeah. Like, by the end, it's yeah. like the full confrontation of all the women, all the husbands that we've been following through the story. He mask comes completely off. Yeah. Right. And which yeah. just goes to show when it comes to domestic violence, it's not a case of like, he's a good person that has some, you know, a bad side. It's like, no, he's a bad person who knows how to hide it. Mm-hmm. He's slowly been revealing it to her. Like if he hadn't discovered that she was about to leave and like escalated the scenario, it would have kept so going. Quickly, it yeah. would have just kept escalating until he was truly just horrible to her 100% of the time at home. Yeah. 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 And possibly led to her death at home yeah. because he went too far. Cause there's, there's one point in the book where she comments that they have some sort of argument in the living room and he shoves her face into the pillow of the couch. And she's like, that was one of the first times where I actually feared for my life because I could not breathe. And I was like, that is insane. Yeah. That's like, that's what your your fights escalate to is him suffocating you. Mm-hmm. And and she still is trying to kind of rationalize it at that point. And it's like, I just feel so bad for her character because it's like outside looking in, we're like, bitch, leave him. Like, oh my God. But it's like, it's not that easy. It's not that simple, especially when you've got families and ties and things that keep you cemented to this. And and also, like you were saying in the beginning, this actually kind of makes me think of like when people join cults, it's mm-hmm. things that start small and then it escalates. So by the time you get to those escalations, it's not as outrageous anymore because it didn't start there. It started little and then it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you're like, well, shit, now I'm in too deep. And I can't get out of it. So I guess I'm just going to have to ride this out until something else happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. The, it's like in the one of the very first chapters before we realize like abuse is happening, like we're treated to like an idyllic Christmas scene. Like they've gone to visit Canada because it's summer in, in December. Oh, in right. Australia. They go to like Anchorage or no, they go to like Calvary or, or Calgary or something. Right. Yeah. So, somewhere where there's snow and they have like mm-hmm. a picture perfect white Christmas and, you know, Perry's being a great father to the kids and everyone's laughing, like, you know, Hallmark moment. And she just has a thought of, you know, until the kids, you know, go to college, that would be a good time to leave him. And it's like, yeah, what? Wait, what? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, why would you want to leave it? It's like, as you find out more, she's like, oh, she's already making allowances for the future that's going to happen and has given herself a deadline of when she can leave. 
Right. Uh, so she knows deep she, down. She knows deep yeah. down. And, and you're just making excuses for yourself and for him. And it gets to a point where she, eventually she has to be the one to take action. He's not going to get better. He's not going to stop. He's only going to get worse. And some random therapist you go to once is not going to suddenly see that something hinky's going on. Right. Um, until you come clean. Yeah. Yeah. So she has to eventually like go to a therapist on her own and come clean on her own and essentially want help to get out yeah. that she can finally do so. Yeah. And she makes the plan. She like finds an apartment. She furnishes it. She's getting ready to be able to be ready to bolt at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. And then he fucking finds the I apartment. Know. And that is like heart stopping because the most dangerous time for a domestic violence uh, victim is when you're leaving. Yeah. Because that is, that's when it's going to be the most volatile. That's when Absolutely. they've lost control. Right. And that's, that's when they're the going to point. lose control entirely. Yeah. yeah. And so I was yeah. just like, oh, good God. I like, know. That's and, tense. That we, part of the book. Yeah. And we know in the part of the book, like, this is the night that the murder happens. We just don't know who or what yet. Uh, yeah. Like, this is the day, the time the murder happens. And it's like, oh, good God. If, like, if she's not, if she's not dead and he's not dead, she has to have a way to get out because if not, she's dead. dead. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because there's exactly. no way out. There's no way he's going to let her go. I know. I know. That's such a like a heart drop moment of like, oh, my God, because it's so nonchalant where he's like, oh, by the way, I uh, just want to let you know about this thing about your apartment. And she's like, fuck. Like, <laughs> it's so. Oh, uh, yeah, about that. Want to go to a party? <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to a party. Bye. And yeah. it's like, oh, my God. And she's trapped in a car with him to the party. And it's like, oh, it's it's, it's like, yeah. Thank tense. God they, they they hold themselves to social norms so much because he could have just driven off to fuck all anywhere with her. I know. Right. I know. It's oh, my God. Yeah, that's a scary moment. And I, I think like with all of this going on, we're seeing Celeste's side and then how it kind of progresses through the relationship. What's just even kind of sadder still is like the kind of reality of everybody outside in the story is like oh my god they have like the perfect marriage and they just like are constantly having sex and it's like she's way older than him so he she's like a cougar and she's got the perfect life and like he, he's got a cushy job and like all these assumptions of her life including Madeline and Jane who have no idea what's actually going on with her life and it's like this poor woman is having to to bear this alone and act like everything is fine and that he's the perfect husband. She's got the perfect house. She's got the perfect life. And it's, oi, 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 Julie. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. It's really rough. She's a tragic character. Um, and she's not the only one. No, oh, we have our other tragic <laughs> We haven't even character. gotten to the other one. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Jane, who is uh, yeah. like the youngest mother of the group. And she's is like, a what, 23? Yeah. Because she was like, like 18 or so when she got pregnant. 17 or 18, yeah. Yeah. Like barely. Yeah. And it's very much hinted at before being confirmed that the uh, conception was not exactly entirely consensual. Yeah. And that poor Jane is just suffering. Like she's described as being uh, ridiculously skinny and just looking sad all of the time. Her very hair, withdrawn. Very withdrawn. She dresses very plainly. She keeps her hair just tied back and very tight all of the time. Uh, she doesn't wear makeup or anything like that. She just looks like she's getting by 
and looks sad and doesn't have any friends. She just moved to the area. So like no real support network. Yeah, she left her family, which is a really big piece where the family is really worried about her because they're like, she's left her security zone. She's lost a lot of weight and we're really and they and the family doesn't know any of the history of her child's biological father. They don't know. They can guess. Yeah, they they, don't know. Yeah, they they I think she kind of passes it off to everybody in the beginning as it was just a one night stand. It was an accident. It was a whoopsie daisy and we're not going to talk about it. And so they the family is like, was it this one ex? Was it this other ex? What about this ex? And she's like, I'm not telling you. And even if I did know who it was, I still wouldn't tell you. And so she's kind of trying to just sweep it under the rug when in reality she had a severe trauma around the conception of her child. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the conception involved um, like a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, spoiler, it was Perry. It was Celeste's husband. Yeah. Fun uh, fact. Yay. Uh, but we don't know that until the end. But the very end. Um, yeah. it was involved um, like, you know, him sweet talking her up into a room and her being like all daring and like a heck yeah, you know, gonna get a little buzzed. You know, yeah. Get a little buzz, get a little wild tonight. Why not? You know, I'm about to go off to school and become a lawyer. You know, life's great, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then it turns real dark real fast. Um, and it yeah. involves like a lot of name calling, uh, verbal abuse, fat uh, shaming, fat shaming. And she wasn't fat. She was like, as everyone describes her, she was just like curvy and beautiful and right. all those normal. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Healthy weights, you know, not yeah. normal 18 year old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, also, um, I'm not even going to say autoerotic asphyxiation because it was not pleasurable for her at all. Choking. Uh, yeah. Straight up choking and suffocation. It's abusive. Yeah. And so when her child is accused of not only harming another student, a female student, but choking said student. Yeah, that's triggering. It's triggering for her. She freezes, but luckily for her child's sake, her first thought is to defend him. Right. Because it's your child. Of course you don't want to take that. And he says he didn't do it. I know. And despite the conception and all her worries that he might, you know, have inherited something from his dad, that no, uh, she's going to stand by her child and do the right thing, which like could, his strength of character for her. She's not going yeah. to allow her triggers to dictate her relationship with her kid. Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, like he doesn't know who his father is. And there is a little bit of like he's he's got his own little trauma because he wants to know more about his father. Why can't I know about my father? But he's also too young to really understand what that conversation would actually mean to have. So it's like. She's trying to protect him, but she's also trying to protect herself. But then you've still got this kind of underlying trauma that is and isn't really being dealt with. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. it's rough. It's rough. Yeah. How do you <sighs> have that conversation with the child? And honestly, I don't know. I, I never know. I never want to have that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. And that's a, that's kind of why it's like when people have traumatic experiences like this, especially if they're young or younger, it can take you a lifetime to hash through it or you may never get through it. Mm-hmm. Like this is not an easy topic, especially like I I just can't even imagine having to have a child out of something such like a, such a horrific event. But then you're like, it's a child and you, you can't blame the child. But then it's a constant reminder of what happened to you. But it's not the child's fault. Like it's I just can't even imagine 
what that would be like. Yeah. It's and I, mean, I, I don't say this as like a pro-life statement or like, you know, yeah, if, yeah. If, you're, if you conceive a child through rape, you should raise it because it's going to be great. You're going to be a great parent. But no, the, this is just saying that uh, kudos to Jane for having the strength of character, for being able and willing to raise her child and try to do right by him and not even holding, after that. Yeah. Even after all that and not like holding his conception against him. Like yeah. she, she couldn't go to school. She couldn't become the lawyer. Right. That she her life her basically dream. stopped. She's now, yeah. She's yeah. not like a, an accountant, a freelance accountant and just gets work where she can. And yeah, she has, you know, no love life. She focuses all of her attention uh, towards Iggy. Like she, doesn't take care of herself clearly and mm. uh, and is very much affected by it, but is doing her best for her kid. Um, I know. Which I know. You know is very, it's commendable because not everybody does that. <laughs> if that's all you can do, good for you. you know, yeah. I hope, you know, and luckily for her, she does start to take care of herself again, you know, as, as she makes friends, as, you know, Madeline forces her to be friends and she becomes yeah, friends with Celeste yeah. too, uh, yeah, yeah. and begins to build an, a network that she, you know, starts to eat again a little bit. She uh, starts to make friends with Tom the barista, who she thinks is gay, but Tom surprise, it's not. He's not, because uh, he likes her. Hey. he likes her, yeah. And she <laughs> likes, you know, takes like, you know, a daring steps, like she cuts her hair real short in a real fun, mm-hmm. cute style. And she dresses up for the party where the murder happens. Uh, murder. But she like, you know, gets all dressed up for fun and is enjoying herself again. And is like, yeah, finally, she starts to live and not just yeah, survive. Taking steps to live her own life now, instead of living for just her kid. Um, and yeah. so it just goes to show that, yes, you can have something horrible happen to you and you can not only survive, but begin to live once again. You just have to find reasons on your own to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for her, it was honestly just like finding people to talk about. Yeah. What just happened. having a friend circle. Yeah. Of some, like anybody to just kind of lighten the load. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's friends and family. Sometimes it's therapy. Sometimes it's people seek religion. Like it just, it, you have to have some sort of network mm-hmm. to kind of work through it in whatever way feels right for you to heal. And so she does find that in Celeste and Madeline. Mm-hmm. And it is a really nice bond. I will say that they kind of create around everybody's got their own baggage and trauma that they're dealing with. And then they eventually learn about Celeste's trauma and then they're there for her when she needs them. So it's 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 a nice community knit in the story, I think. Yeah. And, you know, it was so sad with Madeline after everything with Celeste came out. She's like, I, I'm such a shit friend. I'm a terrible friend. I never knew anything was happening. And, and Celeste said, I would That was not, on purpose. I would not have allowed you to know anything was happening. Yeah, like, that was the whole point. It's not your fault. Was I was just too good, yeah. you know. And plus, yeah. she has her own shit to deal with. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing with Jane. Jane has spent the entirety of her child's life just waving it off as, oh, yeah, I was a one night stand. Moving on. You know, it's like you just you you build these walls, you build these lies up to help protect yourself and others, because if you're a compassionate person, that's not something you just drop into conversation. Like, how do you how do you talk about that? So, yeah, it's there's definitely things that you have to do to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. But, oh, yeah. Oh, Julie. Yeah. And she's got like her whole reason for moving to this town where she knows nobody and has like no job prospects really uh, mm-hmm. is, you know, she tells herself it's for her son and to everyone else that it's for her son. You know, it's a great community. It's a beach town, you know, good school, really good school, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
But in truth, you know, secretly to herself, she moved there because she suspects that her rapist has some connection here and kind of has this faraway dream that she'll run into him and not for like an accusation of anything. She doesn't want vengeance. She doesn't even want to like, you know, talk to him about it. She just kind of, she just wants to show him Iggy. Yeah. She's like, this is what came out of that trauma. Something good. Look what happened. Look at our, look at our baby. Look at my boy. Look what happened. Isn't he great? And it's such an odd thing. Yeah, you would think there'd be so much more anger there. Well, th- you, I think, you would think. I think that's what media is telling us what women should feel about these situations. Yeah. Which, and I mean, anger is a part of it. Clearly, she has anger about Well, that's it. all part of the grief process yeah. and cycle. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of refreshing that she didn't. I mean, honestly, I'm angry about it. I want her to seek vengeance I, and get vengeance so and hurt the yeah. person who did this I'm to her. I'm pissed but at her. She's yeah, also I'm, allowed yeah. to feel how she wants to about it. And if she wants to process it by saying like something horrible happened and you are a terrible person, but look at what came out of this Mm -hmm. and look what's going to continue coming out of this and look how great he is. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's honestly kind of like moving a little bit. (laughs) Again, not to advocate for rape or keeping, you know, the progeny of rape or pressuring anyone to do that. Not the message folks. Yeah. Like, just Wait. kudos to her for taking that approach, I guess. Yeah. 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 Because that is a lot to take on, especially when you're, she's like 18. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, when it happens, she's a 20, child. 20, early 20s now, still a child. Right. Right. Just yeah. like, you're still really a child. Like, you're still trying to figure out where you fit into all of this. And now you have to take care of another human being who is completely reliant on you. And it's, and there's just so much there that you're, you have to mentally, physically, emotionally, work through on top of just knowing how it all started yeah and it yeah it's it's really a powerful story and i i know that we've kind of talked about this in other episodes and i've talked to other guests about it where it's like i always get really frustrated when when authors use rape as like a character development piece especially in like high fantasy stories but that's not what this is Mm -mm. and i I, it is really uh, not good i don't know what word to use because it's not good but (laughs) it is different it breaks the norm Mm -hmm. of how these kinds of events happen with characters and then what happens after to kind of create something new out of these people because you're not going to be the same after that there's no way you could be the same after that yeah but it's it's very different trajectory than what i'm used to seeing with women who go through sexual trauma like this it's very very different yeah typically it's like you know in high fantasy or in stories where the um the rape victim is like a main character uh it's usually like uh you know traumatic event traumatic response and then revenge revenge (laughs) and now the only appropriate emotions for them to feel are rage anger or like coldness like just dead inside shut everything off like like think of a sansa in game of thrones like she's no like part of her strength as a character as much as people hated her uh, (laughs) is that you know before the whole rape thing is that she was a a very emotional character and she made connections with people she was pure and she used not not just that she used her feminine charm that she was trained with to her benefit it's how she used it to survive in joffrey's court after her father as long as she did yeah yeah like she was she was smart in her own way and then in the show to it's like 
oh, she can't be strong this way. You know, yeah. we have to make her strong another way. Let's traumatize her in a different way, which doesn't happen in the books, by the way. Yeah. Um, let's traumatize her in a different way. And now she beca- she can become like stone cold, unemotional Sansa. And now she's uh, ready to Wardeness be, of the North. Yeah, be leader, queen of the North, you know. It's like, no, God damn it. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like the only emotions that women are allowed to have to be strong are negative emotions. And this kind of goes to show that, you know, you can go through a traumatic experience and you are allowed to be traumatized and to process it at your own pace in your own way and still be able to come out the other side and live again mm-hmm. as your own yeah. person and not just a beast of anger, essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of conversations around women with domestic abuse and women of sexual violence that, you know, it's a lot of it is labels of like, are you a victim or are you a survivor? And that is like always a really touchy subject for me because you can technically be both and then you can identify as a survivor and you can also identify as the victim. Like those are going to be kind of living together side by side. But I feel like there is a lot of emphasis sometimes where in order for you to heal, you have to only see yourself as a survivor and you've come out as like the phoenix you've burned to life. You know, like there's there's a lot of kind of propaganda around that, I feel like. And it's unrealistic expectations for certain women. It's like that's not the path that they are wanting to to do mm-hmm. to heal. Yeah. But that's kind of the accept the ex- expectation mm-hmm. is that what that's the progress you should do. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of internalized misogyny and you know, it's unfortunate cuz uh it's like a lot of the time it's like, oh, you've suffered something traumatic. You're not allowed to like sit there and nurse the hurt for as long as you want. You have to get up and be strong for the other right. women. You have to be an right. example. Represent your women. You know, <laughs> don't take time for yourself. You got to get up and get over it and be strong. And it's like, uh, just, you just have to let people be, <laughs> allow them to be their own self and figure out how they're going to deal with this. Right. Man alive, Julie. Mm-hmm. This is a hot topic. I love that um, we pick these kinds of stories, Erin. <laughs> Super light. Keeping it light, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> well, keeping it light, I mean, let's talk about the other, like, awkward sexual scenario in this book of, like, of Madeline's daughter, Abigail. Oh, and her super yeah. secret, secret projects. Yeah, so yeah. her Abigail is supposed to be, like, what, 16? 14. 14 in the 14 book. In the book. She's 16 yeah. in the show, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so she gets um, because of this. This is kind of like a lot more influence is shown in the book as to um, uh, what's her faces. Uh, who's the stepmom? Bonnie. Bonnie, thank you. So Bonnie is the new wife of Madeline's ex, mm-hmm. and she's like very kind of like what what some people might call it, kind of hippy dippy, yeah. kind of ethereal, very like. Granola, crunchy mom, very spiritual, Mm -hmm. which is fine, but not Madeline's thing. And so there's a lot of contention there of like, oh, my God, just go eat some granola and leave me alone. And so it looks like there's a lot of influence from Bonnie that rubs off on her daughter, Abigail. And so she's like, I went and did volunteer services with with the family and it was the most magical experience. And she's like, yeah, God forbid you peel a potato at home. So it's like there's a lot of contention there for obvious reasons. But part of this is that Abigail decides that for her um, her school project she wants to bring awareness to um, what is it? Uh, Amnesty International. Am- Amnesty International 
and focus on the issues with uh, young girl sex trafficking. And she decides that she wants to auction off her virginity to the highest bidder in protest. So it's wowzers. <laughs> it's quite the projection. Yeah. And um, not only wants to do that, I- launches a website and full it's website live for several days. Yes. <laughs> And actively getting participants. And actively getting <laughs> comments from said participants. Really, really uncomfortable yeah. comments from adult men wanting to have sex with a 14-year-old. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> Beginning to end. It's like... Parents' re- worst nightmare. Yeah, so like reading this is like, I, ne- I don't know how I would do this situation and I never want to find out how I would oh, handle the situation. <laughs> my God. I mean... In the one hand, it's like, okay, this is a really interesting representation of a very, like, self-aware, like, socially conscious 14-year-old who is trying to make a difference in some sort of statement. But at the same time, they're still a child, so they don't really understand the ramifications of doing this. Like, in theory, yes, it's a really powerful cause. And you do make a good point that there are women who are are girls who are far younger than a 14-year-old who are getting sold into the sex trade. So there is a huge issue and a huge light needs to be put on this. However, maybe that's not exactly the best way to go about it. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of goes to show uh, this day and age of, like, you know, um, social media and uh, influencer culture, which, like, I think is just starting around this time. Of like, mm-hmm. it's not enough to just do charity anymore. Like, right. you have to be active. You have to be active, and you have to talk about it, and you have to like, you know, show others what you're doing, and go big or go home, kind of thing, or else why bother doing it? Like, mm-hmm. she didn't just go and peel potatoes at Christmas with her, you know, stepmom and dad. She had to post about it on Facebook, and that she's yeah. feeling Facebook's blessed. huge in the book. Yeah. yeah. That she's feeling blessed about it. it just, she just couldn't let it happen. And Madeline, hashtag like, blessed. And Madeline makes the comments like, you know, God forbid she peels a potato at home. Like this is not her yeah. usual behavior. It's demonstrative charity. Uh, she wants the recognition for doing it. And so yeah. she doesn't just want to help Amnesty International by, you know, doing a fundraiser. She wants to be super demonstrative about her doing something. And the way to do it in this influencer day and age is to like literally sell yourself (laughs) uh, by just putting herself out there. And it's clear from like her mom yelling at her that she has not thought through the consequences of what this means. Absolutely. Um, She's 14. Of course she hasn't thought through it. Of course not. (laughs) But also in like social media and influencer culture, you do not see the outcomes of these big things. You don't see all the, you know, negativity that comes along with it or the follow through from it. You just see all the applause and yeah. like that's the that's the end kind of thing, right? It's um, a big splash and then it dies. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. and so they ask the questions of like, there's no filter on this. You're seeing all these horrid comments from people about you and your body and what they want to do with you. Um, I know. And what what happens with whoever wins? Are you going to go through with it? Are you going yeah. to sleep with whoever purchases your virginity? Person? Yeah, it's it's like. Th- what is the outcome here? It's right. Like, yeah. It's like right. no one's going to be so moved by your 
demonstrative charity that they'll donate a bunch of money to Amnesty International. And they say, don't don't worry about it. Yeah. I'll just give you the money and like, walk away. Not, no one's going to say, wow, this is such a poignant statement. Good for you. I bid on your virginity and I want you to keep it. It's like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. No one's going to do that. That's what happens. Yeah. Funnily enough, but not really. But not really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, so she's lucky in that way. But if it wasn't secretly Celeste who made a big donation and bought her virginity and said, and please take this down and I'll donate the money right away uh, mm-hmm. to give her an out. Like what would have been the outcome? Like, cause honestly you can't do that. And like the parents, they didn't have access to the website. They don't know the password. Right. They couldn't take it down. They can't take it they down. Yeah, I know that was awful. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine like, <laughs> Oh my god! Like I'm trying to think of it from the perspective of both the parents and the daughter, because it's like from the parents' perspective, perspective they're like, "Holy shit, this is what!" (laughs) Like, make it stop immediately. And the and from the child's perspective, it's just like, where? How did you think this was going to end up once this was all like done? Yeah, like it kind of goes to show, like (laughs) with with teenagers, they're so smart and they're so stupid. Like, (laughs) like in theory, in like philosophy world. Yes, you like, you know, show the hypocrisy of like, you know, child sex traffic, sex trafficking and like the upset people get with like, you know, young people having sex uh, for money, blah, 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 blah. But you don't do it this way. Yeah, you there's don't better ways. Literally better sell ways. yourself to people who aren't going to get it and don't care. Like, yeah. Also, <laughs> I feel like in a, it is a very, obviously a very immature way to interpret how to bring awareness to something Mm -hmm. like this because you think about if the girls who are actually having to go through this if they had a say obviously they would say don't do it like like this is this is not you standing up against the man you know like making a statement on behalf of women who don't have a voice you're you're putting yourself in the place of what other girls are going through on purpose which i feel like is almost worse (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't. What, definitely white savior complex. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's like, well, I have the choice, so I'm going to do it because not like these w- girls don't have a choice, but I do. And that's why this statement matters. It's like, that is so backwards. And it's like, it is white privilege, really. Mm-hmm. And w- when you kind of get down to that kind of thought process, also, she's 14. Yeah. <laughs> 14. She's an idiot. Yeah. She's an idiot. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, kudos to you for thinking about these topics, but no. <laughs> but no, you you moron. No, <laughs> this is not the way to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, time. yeah. Well, that's I know that. To, I, uh, <laughs> on that note, yeah. uh, do we want to move to the show, or is there anything else you want to talk about the book? <laughs> I mean, just like the overall like rumor mill aspect of oh, the story. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Cause the chapters are broken up and it's like, you know, a chapter from Jane's point of view, a chapter from Celeste chapter from Madeline. And they're all like, you know, short or long, depending on part of the story they're telling, but they're interspersed with these little uh, tidbits of opinions from the community about the characters. Or the interviews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with how people feel about Jane, how people feel about Celeste and Madeline, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just so nasty. It and is. Caddy. Like so catty. Isn't a good person among them. Like maybe Bonnie, because she's, you know, pops up every now and again to kind of give a like course correction on the rumor mill aspects of yeah. things. But like, no, just everyone's just 
for it. <laughs> everybody is just evil to everybody. Yeah. Like it's just very small town mentality. And very, yeah, you're right. It's extremely catty where everyone's just spreading rumors. Like, I didn't want to say this, but so-and-so is supposedly sleeping around with so-and-so. It's like, you're adults. Stop acting like high schoolers. Like, mm-hmm. this is stupid. <laughs> yeah. And we all know what the nanny's been up to. And Yeah. Like, and they're talking about somebody's sleeping with the nanny. Mm-hmm. And then they're talking about like, oh, well, they say that Celeste and Perry are having amazing sex, but I know that's bullshit. And they, they just like, it's extremely catty and very self-serving. And it's like, get your kind of moment in the sun kind of thing mm-hmm. with with the yeah. I- interviews. It's just, oh, it cringeworthy every yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Police are held hostage for my opinions. I'm going to dish out all of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And it's, uh, and I think one of the, one of the, f- oh, we haven't even talked about um, um, Renata. Yeah, but we'll we'll talk about her more in the show, I think, because I think there's a lot more to be said there. But there's like, yeah, so like there's people who are um, there's what's her face? Um, there's one of the gals who's like constantly bringing up that she's best friends with Heather. Renata. Yeah, Heather. Yes, <laughs> it's like so she's like me and my best friend Renata, and she like it's just it's so catty, and I just mm, I just cringed every time, and I just goes to show just, high school never ends <laughs> i know i hate it mm-hmm. i hate it i don't miss those days yeah. well, it's like uh renata is the mother of the little girl who gets hurt in the class amabella mm-hmm. and it's amabella not annabella it's Annabella. <laughs> it's french yeah she makes a point of that yeah. a lot <laughs> she's like a um high-powered executive uh woman um and there are like you know some comments from some of the caddy moms about how she's like you know a career mom and not like a mom mom she's one of the ones with the nanny and she has an initial embarrassment at the beginning because she assumes jane because she's so young is another nanny like her her nanny juliet that she has Um, her french nanny her french nanny juliet uh and uh, so there's like that initial embarrassment of like a high powered woman who has who was embarrassed, which Oops. if you're like, you know, a woman, you kind of sense that tension right away. And it's like, oh, oh if this shit. isn't released. <laughs> something bad's going to happen. And then yep. and it does. <laughs> uh, Amabella is revealed to have been like, you know, hurt by another kid. And she uh, mistakenly points out Iggy, uh, Jane's son, mm-hmm. as being the perpetrator. And so Renata, to her credit, you know, it does not immediately, like, you know, scream down the little boy. She's just like, they're ha- trying to have a teaching moment in front of all the kids about how we don't hurt our yeah. friends. You know, and when it happens, you know, we know it's an accident. So can you do please just, you know, say sorry and we'll let, you know, bygones be bygones kind of thing. But like Iggy mm-hmm. rightly says he didn't do it. He's not going to apologize for something he didn't do. And Jane right. also rightly says she's not going to force believe her kid yeah. <laughs> to do something when he says he didn't do it. But, you know, hell ensues. <laughs> it, um, yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, Renata is understandably upset that the kid accused of hurting her, like legitimately hurting her child. There's like marks not, on her child's neck. Yeah, it's really pretty is, extensive. It's not making and this it's day right. one. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. This is all overblown, but on the, at the same time, you kind of understand where everyone is coming from in this absolutely. instance. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. But it just it escalates because other people take it too far. Madeline yep. takes it too far for Jane. Heather takes yep. it too far for Renata. 
Um, oh my god like yeah they start a petition well, saying they want iggy to be removed from the school for, and first like, there's amabel's birthday party where all oh, the kids yeah. but iggy are invited and then in retaliation madeline gets tickets to disney on ice for the same so day as the, the party <laughs> so all the god. other people don't go to the party and it's just Ugh. all these like little petty ticky tack things between them and eventually heather not renata uh, starts a petition to remove Iggy from the school uh, because um, there are more accusations that Amabella is being hurt. But she doesn't say it's from Iggy, but she just won't say people are assuming that it's Iggy yeah. because he was the first accused. Uh, and so, yeah. like, a petition is going around to remove a kindergartner from class for hurting just, another kid, which is just so like petty. Jesus it's fucking such Christ. Petty yeah. things that it's like, you guys are adults. Why are you acting like children? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't. I know. And it's like people accuse schools all the time of not doing enough about bullying and not doing anything when their kids are being hurt. And to some extent, you know, in some situations, that's that true. true in some cases. Yeah. But you're also not there all day, every day. You don't see the little things that people are trying to do. And also kids are kids. Even bullies are kids. Mm-hmm. And you have to give them room to be better and to teach them without forcing them because if you force it it's not going to stick they're just going to fight more right. they're going right. to they're going to get they're better push back. about hiding it exactly yeah, yeah. they're they're going to learn that oh if i don't give it away yeah. then no one's going to talk to me about it and they won't know and i can get away with it so they're not learning to stop the behavior they're learning to mask it yeah <laughs> like they, not okay they just they, they just get better at lying is what happens then so you, you just have to approach it gently and you yeah. kind, of, kind of gently steer everyone in the right direction. Uh, but just parents get whipped up into a frenzy when their own kids are involved. Rightly so. Well, not oh, yeah. rightly so, but understandably so. Uh, but and it just, yeah, the escalation was too much. Yeah. Yeah. Renata is like a very like stereotypical like helicopter mom yeah. kind of given off in the book where she's very well off. She's very high powered. She's used to having to deal with a lot of like businessmen who don't take her seriously so she's they i think they kind of said it in the show that she's like kind of a bulldog kind of character Mm -hmm. which is fine like women in that industry you bet because i think isn't she like a like a ceo of like bing or something like she's like something ridiculous something actually big makes big money like as as much as perry and he like makes a fuckload of money yeah Yeah. exactly so it's like she's in a really high position of power and is is used to having to fight her way to the top which kudos to that but then at the same time it's like girlfriend you gotta pick your battles better Mm -hmm. and it's and she she has a hard time doing that when it comes to her daughter which again i can see where the emotion is coming from you don't want your child to be hurt at school they should be safe at school Mm -hmm. i understand that completely but then making a scene in front of all the children and parents on day one Mm -hmm. and accusing a child of being a liar that you've never met and allowing feelings to to fester and escalate and at the end when like you know they're at the party and everything like that you know renata comes across jane and she's very frosty like oh Hello. Oh, I guess I'll say hi to you. You know, not happy Mm -hmm. to see her. But then Celeste, you know, immediately to to Celeste's credit, immediately comes to Celeste and to um, Renata and says, "Listen, Iggy is not the one who hurt your child. It's it's me. It's my son who's been hurting your child, and I am so sorry." Right. She's trying to correct it. Immediately takes all the wind out of Renata's sails. Like she doesn't like you know turn on Celeste and start screaming her down. Like you know Mm -hmm. she was clearly dying. And doesn't try to guilt her into being like, oh, so you were wrong. You know, how could you allow your child to do this? Like, oh, oh my goodness. Like, yes, let's like find a solution together, kind of thing. And it's like 
damn, once you like, you know, pinprick the, you know, a balloon situation is like all the energy's gone and now it's just yeah. you, time to work your way through the situation. Yeah. Uh, and, and to Renata's credit also, she turns to Jane and says, I am so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, she actually admits that she was wrong. Yeah. She actually comes to grips with the fact like, oh, maybe I was kind of an asshole about this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. I, I just can't even imagine what that kind of a dynamic would be between two parents where they're both fighting for their children and their safety and representing their children. And they both believe their child is right because why wouldn't you? Yeah. But then, you know, something's wrong, obviously, because it keeps happening. And I think Jane actually takes her son to a child psychiatrist to get him kind of screened to see, like, does he have bully tendencies? Like, is there something else going on that she's just not seeing on the day to day? And the the psychiatrist is like, no, he's fine. In fact, I think he might be bu- being bullied himself. Like, <laughs> so it's like, wh- what do you do when you're like, I don't all the facts are pointing away from it, but all the facts are also pointing towards it. It's yeah, I, it's an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's just. With with no obvious solution, feelings just escalate and oh, absolutely it's terrible and terrifying it's, because there's no yeah. way to fix it. <laughs> like yeah, short of yeah, like when all the no parents rationale. being there all the time to keep an eye on all the kids, which like the state of being observed changes your behavior, so it's like it's not gonna do anything. Right, right. Uh, if you're being observed, you're not going to act normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, it, and they even hire like a paraeducator whose sole job is to watch the two of them. them. But because her job was to watch the two of them, she wasn't watching them interact with the other kids where there was the actual problem. Right. And then we find out that actually um, Max was also bullying the daughter of um, Madeline's ex. Yeah, Bonnie's little girl was also being bullied. And so he was pushing her down the stairs, but she wasn't saying anything because she was too afraid to speak out. So that was happening. And like, you don't find out about that until almost the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, so he's been acting out to other children. And again, they were so focused on Iggy. <laughs> they didn't realize what was going on. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Stress. And it's like, you know, for all the stress and all the emotion and, you know, for all that it got out of hand, all the parents directly uh, of the kids involved did the right thing. You stand up so, for your yeah. kids, you protect your kids. Um, when in doubt, you know, get them seen by a professional. And yeah. when they're at fault, you uh, take responsibility for it. So yeah. Celeste, you know, coming forward and saying, my kid did it and I'm going to get this fixed. Jane, you know, Absolutely. doubting and taking them to a psychologist just in case. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Renata, you know, her child has been hurt. Yeah. She needs he- protection. It's like everyone did the technically correct thing it just got driven off the rails because it was happening so hard i know, <laughs> hard I know. And, and i and i feel like a lot of the kind of drama was really heightened because of the fact that parents who really shouldn't have been involved were getting involved and it's like these people who just like to kind of raise the anxiety level just to feel like they're important in helping or something like, they just want to be noticed like look at a good friend i'm being because i'm trying to fight for you it's like this is not your thing butt out yeah. like this is this is nothing to do with you you can be supportive as a friend but you don't bring your own stuff into this one it has nothing to do with you or your children and that i think is what really escalated a lot of it is that they're just like feeding into each other mm-hmm. and that goes back to that pettiness of like you guys yeah. <laughs> the majority of the people in the rumor mill bits they signed the petition yeah like, exactly oh, come on 
How yeah, is this like, any how of is your that, business? <laughs> right. It's not constructive yeah. either. It's like, how is this helpful for anybody? Except you're like, oh, I'm, I I did my part. Yeah. It's <laughs> you know? demonstrative. It, again, that, that yep. demonstrative thing of like, I did a good thing. I signed yeah, to get the I'm bad important. child out of school. Yeah. It's like, look, it's see, like, I'm involved. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it was acknowledged that the petition couldn't do anything. Yeah. And it's not oh going to enforce anything. It just, it's a thing to make some, to make Jane feel bad, to make other kids and parents aware of the situations so they can tell their kids not to play with Iggy. to making a child feel bad. It's so petty. Yeah. It's so petty. It's, yeah. And it, and it's like the parents kind of go off the rails and the kids are the ones that kind of suffer because they're too little to really understand what's actually going on in the politics of parent world. Yeah. All they know is that, oh, well, nobody wants to play with me at school anymore or, or nobody's coming to my birthday party anymore. And they don't really have the full scope of rationale as to why that is. So it's like the kids are the ones that kind of suffer because the parents can't get their heads out of their asses long enough to like <laughs> – be rational about yeah. this and it's like you know parents are there to like you know to teach and to guide behavior but at the same time and as much as i hate the phrase um that people abuse it you gotta let kids be kids yeah, yeah. to a certain point. point yeah yeah you gotta, they, they gotta learn you, you direct you don't let them go crazy you guide, but you can't be there to like be, have their hands on their shoulders and guide them through life you gotta like yeah let yeah. them go and learn how to how to be <laughs> yep and I, you know, I don't have kids, uh, so I have no idea what that is like, mm-hmm. but I just, I feel like, you know, you can't live your children's life for them and your children are not there for you to be an extension of what you wish your life could have been or should have been. Like there's, there's limits. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't be using your child as a vehicle to get what you want. <laughs> like that's not what they're there for. <laughs> yeah. Everything's kind of like, it's weird. Like the more we talked about this, it seems like everything's a trash can on fire. However... We haven't gotten into the show yet. <laughs> Let's throw it into a dumpster and light it on fire with napalm. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about the show now. If we must. Um, if we must. Okay. I will read a quick little synopsis of this and then we'll jump in. Okay. It might be a short show talk and we might have a lot more comparison because I, I, I'm I sensing the feelings that are radiating from you right now, Julie, of how we feel about the show. <laughs> I'm feeling it. <laughs> so when Madeline, played by Reese Witherspoon, and Celeste, played by Nicole Kidman, take new in-town single mom Jane, played by Shailene Woodley, under their wing, they don't realize how the arrival of Jane and her inscrutable little boy will affect them all. Big Little Lies is a brilliant take on ex-husbands and second wives, schoolyard scandal, and the dangerous little lies we tell ourselves just to survive. So before you read the book... What, what did you like about the show? I think looking back, I did really like a lot of the, the casting choices. So again, Madeline, played by Reese Witherspoon, hands down, one of my favorite representations. I think that, especially going back and re- having read the book now, I think they really did nail the energy and the kind of just overall vibe of her character. I think she nailed it um tiger mom also yeah. <laughs> she is legit mama bear tiger mom yeah absolutely and she's also like she's so little and just like a pocket rocket and i i, lo- I love her so much like i love reese witherspoon and a lot of things she's done and this was just a really solid role where she, she i think she did a really good job portraying madeline's character 
I have other thoughts on this too. Yes. We'll get into it. Oh, so do I. <laughs> and this has nothing to do with Reese Witherspoon no. as an actor. I have other thoughts. Everything's to do with the script. <laughs> yes, it does. So I really liked the representation. I think I thought it was interesting. Nicole Kidman as Celeste. I did like that she is a very good actor when it comes to being very like demure and very soft spoken, but also being like a protector in a lot of ways. Like I've seen a lot of films where she's a mother and protecting her children or she's like a really nice like close friend or something. Um, But I thought her depiction of the kind of inner struggle she was having with the domestic abuse versus like the kind of what everybody else is seeing that kind of dynamic i think she did a pretty decent job of showing that struggle i think that it was off the rails but i think she did a pretty good job relatively of portraying what that would look like externally and then overall like the cinematography style i absolutely do love um jean-marc Vallée's style like it's beautifully shot and we were talking about this when we were watching it but what's the it's like diegetic is that what it is mm-hmm. where it's like the music is in the show but the characters are experiencing it and the audience is experiencing it at the same time or like it kind of th- that's a very common thing that he also did in sharp objects so there was a lot of stylistic choices and the soundtrack was killer good and so there was just the visual and the aesthetic i really really liked and not having read the book I didn't realize that the basis of the story was nearly as outrageous as it was. So I was able to kind of rationalize it a little bit more of like, oh, yeah, this is just kind of his M.O. Because Sharp Objects, everyone was a trash can on fire in that, too. (laughs) So this is just his thing, right? So that was kind of what I started with liking it. But then going back, um, there were some artistic choices that happened in the show that I am not so crazy about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, having uh, read the book first and then watched the show. I'm actually really glad we decided to yeah. do that because, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, everyone's problems, like, yes, like, Jesus Christ, we've said several times, I hope I never have to figure out how to handle this myself. It's like, they're all to an extent relatable. Like, you can understand the problem. You can see the edges of it. You can get a grasp on it. Uh, it's it's like on a scale of one to ten, it's a f- five or six in terms of drama. Yeah, you know, and like the murder puts it to a ten. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it did. But um, we never even talked about what happened with the murder, but we'll get into. Oh, that we'll first. get there. That's fine. Um, That's really more in the comparison. I think. Yeah. So uh, in the show, everyone's drama gets ramped up to an eleven, and it stays there. <laughs> oh my god, it's eleven, and then just keeps going, man wowzers it's like you're, you're starting at red hot you're just like scaling to white <laughs> how big of a pro- i know on fire this is but i know yeah it's it, it was like no we can't have like you know big relatable problems we need to have nuclear outrageous like popcorn drama problems um and that's kind of my vibe for the show yeah yeah they really amped up the social drama mm-hmm. to like like you said like an 11 um, and I think the biggest factor that really kind of set the tone is that the book takes place in Australia. This takes place in um, a really nice, really bougie area of Southern California. So everybody is like stupid rich. Yeah. So it's very different tone 
as far as what kind of money these people are coming from. Mm-hmm. And even when we're talking, like we were just talking about this earlier, like what they're considering, like I think Madeline is supposed to be kind of like what middle class. And even then, like you see their homes. Yeah. These gigantic. houses are gigantic on the cliffside with an ocean view. And I mean, it's massive houses and she's on the low end mm-hmm. of the spectrum for what these families are making. And it's like, Jesus, it's crazy she's a hollywood so, <laughs> what the hell yeah, yeah exactly so it's like it's like that level of of wealth mm-hmm. is completely differently represented in in the show and i think that really also added a lot to the like you know if you're really wealthy you have the money to throw at things and make it go away and if it doesn't go away you pitch a hissy fit Mm -hmm. over it which is literally what happens with a lot of the drama you see is these families are used to getting what they want because they have a shit ton of money yeah and all the time in the world to just sit back and like observe other people and freak out about it yeah exactly one thing that's like you know totally a tiny detail and not like in the drama at all but i just couldn't help but notice that in all these homes where people first come from different financial backgrounds everyone has a gigantic fucking refrigerator that matches right the perfect (laughs) perfectly matches the decor of the kitchen and it's like oh yeah the kitchens are immaculate I all of them i couldn't not notice it and it was driving me crazy especially <laughs> bonnie's home which is supposed to be like you know kind of like granola e uh, you know granola crunchy mom and very much uh what's the style like boho style yeah hippie yeah. time but this was like you know rich hippie and she's like supposed to be a yoga teacher which makes shit all for money, you know? Which I, I feel like maybe it's the husband that's bringing but we have a lot no more idea money. what he makes. But even still, or what he does like, even they have like a, yeah. a kind of wooden themed kitchen, and even the fridge is huge and has wood paneling on the front. And it's like, I know it's what? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was so such a weird, bad detail that you don't know how to express different rungs of the wealth spectrum because celeste and perry are supposed to be like stupid rich in comparison but just looking at their house and being there you can't tell right because they all have ridiculously yeah. nice houses like every single one of them i was like this is the poor part of town ridiculously nice houses what uh, <laughs> perfectly clean cars kids are in these cars they're all perfectly clean uh right. <laughs> like the only person who like shows like that they're like poor is jane who lives in an apartment with one bedroom that she gives to iggy so she she sleeps on the fold-out couch. She sleeps on a fold-out yeah. couch in the living room. And I have opinions She's about that. She's the only but normal one. Quote-unquote like normal, normal as far as, far yeah, as like finances one. go. Yes, she's the only yeah. one within the realm of um, relatability. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like... It's just <laughs> Yeah, it was really ramped up. And I, I guess um, kind of another actor that I actually did kind of enjoy it represented was Zoe Kravitz. So she plays Bonnie. And... I do love Zoe Kravitz. She's a beautiful lady. She is lovely. She has a great singing voice. Her character definitely embodied the very kind of over-the-top zen, find-your-yoga-center kind of, like, persona that they gave her in the book. But I'm pretty sure they describe Bonnie as white in the book. So I thought that was an interesting character choice. But I actually really do like, I think, personally the the visual aesthetic and overall demeanor of her in the show i kind of liked a little bit more 
Yeah, in the book, you know, she's crunchy granola marm and she has her opinions about things, but she kind of comes across mm-hmm. as like, you know, demure and I don't want to draw attention yeah. to myself and kind of white privilege you know, and trying to like yeah. um, ingratiate herself to Madeline a little bit. Like, I'm not a threat, you know, I'm just here to help Nate on his yeah. journey to connect with this child again. I'm just here to be the calm stepmom. I'm just here to facilitate. <laughs> uh, in the show, and kind of like what you, an aspect you get with shows that you don't get with books is you get more like, points of view, and we see the life between bonnie and nate and she definitely has you know more of a spine to her she has more of opinions uh, about herself and about everyone and she's a lot more rational and tries to kind of keep her husband in check yeah she's like she calls him out on his shit sometimes he's much more of a shitster uh i'm just gonna jump to comparison yeah Yeah, we're doing it it's 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 a lot in the book he is like almost desperate for Madeline to forgive him and to come across as a good dad. Yeah, and, like, he's trying. Acquiesces to anything she wants just to get to spend time with Abigail and just to start a new life with Bonnie. Uh, in the show, God damn it, he's just an asshole. <laughs> like, you get aspects of that, but it's kind of like a... Um, Instead of like, hey, I want you to forgive me and I want to do anything, it's like, hey, I've done enough. You should forgive me already kind of attitude. Right, and he's just like the machismo yeah. behind him. So he's constantly picking fights with Madeline's husband. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're just, you know, puffing each other's chest out and saying, oh, I'm, be- I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. And it's like that whole dynamic. I was like, this is so obnoxious and not necessary. Yeah. Like, I I hated um, the ex in, in the show because he was just obnoxious and he was super petty and he... You know, like the the whole party that they go to at the very end where the murder happens, it's supposed to be like a themed party for all the parents. So it's like um, the men are supposed to dress up as Elvis and the women are supposed to dress up as Audrey Hepburn of something. And so the men are like there's a there's a singing talent show. And so the husband is practicing a, an Elvis song for the talent show. And he's like, I'm going to blow this asshole out of the water like he's not going to know what's hit him. And it's like everything is a freaking contest. And it's like this is so dumb <laughs> like, I I media male behavior like yes i hate it so much it's like this is how the this is how uh first husbands this is how ex-husbands and second husbands should interact with each other through like hatred and instability and constant fighting right. not getting right. along with a co-parenting yeah. relationship for the sake of a child or you know just being indifferent yeah. like not engaging in stupid arguments that a child would get into. Like, it's like, be the bigger person and just don't. In the book, I don't think Ed or Nate interact at all. At all. Yeah. Especially no. not alone. Like, the if, if no. they do, Madeline is there, you know, as she should be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure there's there's really not much discord, if any, in the book between the husbands. Honestly, the husbands are not really much of a focal point except to help kind of have the characters like especially with Madeline and her husband they will talk through issues at the time but it's again this is all from the perspective of Madeline so he's there as like support whereas in the show there's a lot more not aggression with their relationship but just a lot more resentment as far as he's like I feel like I was your second choice I feel like you're the girl of my dreams and I got what I wanted but I feel like you're settling for me and I just don't know what to do with that because she's constantly complaining 
about how much she hates her ex and how it's like, oh, sure, he didn't have time for me and Abigail when she was a baby. He just walked out on us. But now, you know, 16 years later, he's dad of the year. And so she's obviously very upset about that. But he's just constantly kind of like picking fights with her saying, oh, good. Well, you're complaining about this. Meanwhile, I'm just sitting here saying, OK, I guess I'll just be over here regretting my existence then, shall I? Like, it's he's just a weird dynamic. The scenario, yeah. like the situation, like in the book, mm-hmm. like she's clearly upset with him because he walked out on her with a, a, an infant you know, just yeah, because he couldn't handle huge, it. huge, huge issue, which is a huge problem. And she's right to, to hate him for that forever. You know, dude, that's uh, yeah, that's yeah, especially since he's come back trying to play perfect dad. But in the book, you know, he's owning up to that. He's like, yes, what I did was wrong. And I'm sorry, but I want to be here now. Like, I'm trying. And that's now. kind of. Yeah, it's like you can't forgive the past, part of but the, I'm trying now. Part of the problem because yeah. she wants to be angry at him and she is angry at him, but he's trying and she's like. I can't be angry at you when you you're, try. You're trying to do it right, so I just I can't be the bitch, but I want to be the bitch. But you're gonna make but me I a bitch. It's <laughs> just part of the frustration, and you get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But totally. in the in the show, they're just like egging each other on, and it's like you're both being ridiculous. Uh, yeah. And instead of like you have feelings, and it's understandable, and you and it's understandable why you can't feel like you can express them right here, and so she has to express them to Ed, and he's like. Yeah, I get it. It sucks. You know, I'm sorry that it's happening this way as opposed to like you're nitpicking and you're always fighting and now it's exhausting for me to hear about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And it's interesting because like Adam Scott is the actor that plays um, Madeline's husband. And usually like I really love Adam Scott. Like I loved him in Parks and Rec and like he's really an adorable, cute little character. But this particular character was weirdly aggressive for him. And I, yeah, I think it's just because everything was so ramped up. All of the men that were had weirdly he, had he been, All of the characters, Every single period. One. Yeah, except for yeah, the barista. Like all the, <laughs> oh, but the barista, he was so yes. precious. I but him. every single one. Oddly yeah, aggressive. Yeah, Renata's husband, too. Yeah. yeah. But who else was it that I had just thinking was oddly aggressive? Oh, yeah. The person Madeline was cheating with is weirdly aggressive. Let's talk yeah. about that so fun fact in the show uh madeline has a uh an affair that happened a few years prior and then it's with a guy that she's working with community theater in and then he tries to bring that back to life and then there's drama in present day with that so they've shown infidelity in her life as if there wasn't enough going on um i absolutely hate that they added that i hate it so much and no like i was not really upset by it when I'd seen the show first, but then now knowing that it was never in the book and they added that in there, I was like, what was the freaking point of that? Like that was so unnecessary and did nothing to like build the character except to show like, look, she's got a million other flaws and here's one more. And like, it just, it didn't make any sense. And I was like, why is that in there? It's because like we said in the book, Madeline and her relationship with her husband are like the most stable and relatable aspects. So I guess to kind of match her with Jane and Celeste, she needed has to, be something to have else her wrong. own problems. So <laughs> not only, know. you know, is she like having an affair, making her relationship with her husband no longer perfect, besides the fact that he's now weirdly aggressive too uh i know it's not really perfect yeah. in the show either which is why it's like why why yeah, she, like, like yeah, had this yeah. affair and like she almost they almost like re reignite it again when like, like you know they have this whole subplot of like she's trying to get 
a theater production shown in town and it pits all the women against each other again and blah, 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 blah. And more, another petition about that and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. But it's like when they win, like high emotion, blah, kissy face. And it's like, what the fuck is happening yeah, here? Yeah. And then like she turns it down, but it's very much stated out loud that they've, they've had an affair. Um, yeah. And like, so that wasn't the first and, time that happened. And then, like we said, he gets weirdly aggressive about it when she says no. Yeah, because he's like, you, you, why would you come and work with me if you didn't want to be with me? And he's like, trying, like, I kind of understand the whole, like, I'm rationalizing that I still have feelings for you and I can't possibly imagine that you don't have feelings for me. Yeah. Like, I can understand that dynamic. At the same time, really, really aggressive. Weirdly aggressive. I don't, yeah. yeah, weirdly aggressive. And he, like, tracks her down at the coffee shop, corners her in his car. And then they get in a car accident and he gets put into the ICU. And it's like this other drama where the wife is like, are you the one that he's che- he was cheating on me with? Because he told me that he was over her and I don't believe him. And like there's confrontation around that. And it's like there's like all this extra stuff. And it's like, wh- why? <laughs> why did that? Like, I don't. This is very similar to the whole conversation around women having like sexual aggression put towards them to have character development or showing like here's a flaw that they have to overcome. It's the same kind of thing where like women's faults lie around if they're having an affair or not. Like if they're having an affair, that's their fault and they have yeah. to fix yeah, it. Like, you know, her, <laughs> like- her flaw in the book, her character flaw is that um, just like we complain about all the women, she's puts her nose in where it doesn't belong and she escalates yeah. situations beyond where they need to be escalated. That's her flaw. That's an acceptable flaw for a character to have because it causes Realistic. shit to happen. Yeah. And it's yeah. again, a relatable flaw here. Yeah. Like, you know, Oh, it wasn't, so over the it top. wasn't just that her husband left because, um, you know, he couldn't hack it as a, as a new dad. It was because she was like, obsessed about like magnetic electromagnetic fields that she was making ridiculous requests of them. And he was like, just couldn't take it anymore. Um, and like ex- extreme safety measures. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, she's cheating on Ed. So that relationship is no longer perfect. And she like shares this with her daughter and has her keep yeah. it to a secret. And it's like, you can't do that. You can't treat your child like a friend. You can't just share shit like this. No. And put that yeah. kind of pressure on them. And it's like, it just made her a character assassination, essentially, yeah. from the book. Essentially, yeah. yeah, that really, now knowing how the book went versus that, I was like, man, that really killed my vibe. I was okay with some of the changes. Cause like, yeah, you know, it's, it's television. Like, people want drama. It gets people to watch it. I understand the draw. Mm-hmm. But then this was like that one layer too far and especially when we're so the the scene you're talking about is where she tells abigail about the affair because it's when they found out they actually do bring in her amnesty project where she's going to sell her virginity that is also in the show she doesn't launch it find out about it it. yeah yeah, they find out about it she hasn't launched it and so then madeline confronts her saying like this is a huge mistake you do not want to do this you are going to completely regret this probably very soon and then her daughter's like yeah says miss perfect like why should i listen to you and she's like i'm not perfect and then she blurts that out i'm like you're telling your 16 year old daughter about things that they should not be a part of because it's they are not your therapist like they are not a confidant for this like that is not why your kids you do not use your kids to put your burden on tell her something in the past from like when you were a teenager not now not now that it would have consequences if that information never got out like i know 
I know that was pretty wild. I mean, yes, it's a very like jaw dropping moment of like you want you want to see how unperfect I am. Whammo! Like I understand why that would be something that you could kind of write into a screenplay, but at the same time, it's like that is so not a responsible thing to do as an mm-hmm. adult for your children. No. <laughs> like, you don't. What are you doing? You don't share secrets with your kids. Like you can share family secrets that the family is aware of, but you can't share the internal secrets. Like, not like that. Like if she, not like if that. she had an there's, affair. There's ways to do it, and that's not like it. if she had an affair and Ed discovered it, and they hashed it out, and like you know had you know forgiven each other and whatnot, and then she tells Abigail about it in this wham, I'm not perfect. I had an affair with Ed, and like you know he knows, and we've gotten over it. Right now you're in on the secret, but that's in the past. You've dealt yeah, with it. You have dealt with <laughs> yeah. it. There are no consequences if she brings it up in conversation and wants to learn more. Now, exactly. But that's not what happened. It's your only secret. Now you've told her and now it's on her to keep she the secret too. She's sworn to secrecy yeah. and it's like, dude, And that's, that's just going to cause more problems either yeah. between you and your husband when it eventually comes out because it's now going to. It's going or to. between you yeah. two because now you're forcing her to carry a secret. Yeah. A really big one that could be literally life shattering. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of ramifications to that and I was like that was so unnecessary now if she were to accidentally like cause it to come out like if she's talking to someone else about it or she's talking to her mom about it and Ed comes in she's gonna blame herself for ruining right. the relationship she now feels yeah. responsible exactly Horrid. yeah there's a lot of issues with that so that was yeah not a great moment I really didn't appreciate that yeah yeah I think that's probably the biggest part where like once I finished the book I was like oh my god there's no affair and I was like what <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. Yeah, that was um woofda. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a, a definitely a piece that I was like, man, I really wish they hadn't put that in there. Cuz it you're absolutely right. It was it was character assassination. Yeah. Like it just ugh. Yeah, bummer. Mm-hmm. Did not like that. Yeah. Boo. Bums down. I, I also really disliked <laughs> like the, you know, s- semi verging on like, you know, conspiracy theory early days with the baby for her as a justification for the dad to leave it's like there doesn't need to be a justification beyond he wasn't ready like you know as shitty as it is it happens and that's relatable yeah exactly it doesn't have to be this ridiculously outrageous reason on top of him not being ready instead of like you know the scenario they have in the book of like you know they're trying to get past it while holding on to resentment but working together it has to be no they're both at fault and they're both continuing to nitpick at each other yeah bring their spouses into it who nitpick at each other and make it worse and yeah 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 and and we do get to see a lot more of renata and her husband and the dynamic of them as well which is just uh, I will say, though, I love Laura Dern. I, as do I. She is a fantastic I actress. I love her so much, but damn, her character just made me want to scream. They <laughs> made her the hysterical woman. Oh, she was like ultimate helicopter mom, like on steroids. On steroids like, and screaming yeah. at everyone around her. Everyone. Oh, my God. And her God. husband, you know, is not perfect and not a great guy, but he's trying to de-escalate the situation, bring reason back into it. And she's just like yelling him down about it and he doesn't do a very good job either though because he's like trying to de-escalate it but then he says certain things like dude you've totally just like it's being a douche canoe yeah yeah it's like they're like instead of him trying to like support his wife and try to explain like okay let's talk through this we can make we can make this work and work you're overreacting babe yes (laughs) exactly yeah exactly where he's just like oh yeah you know what could be worse 
It's, it's high drama. No one's allowed to be a reasonable adult. No one's allowed to have a reasonable relationship <laughs> or, yeah. or react in reasonable ways. Everyone has to be weirdly aggressive or overly emotional. Yeah, her character is just maniac mm-hmm. overall. And it's it's just like very um, stereotypical, big money, big company. They they have scenes where she's like doing these big like Vogue interviews for magazines and stuff. And so everything's got to be absolutely perfect. Like I can see where the angle was coming from because of what her role is supposed to be as a businesswoman. And they are extremely affluent. So I understand the kind of premise for it. But man, was it over the top. And yeah, it was just it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> She was just psycho. Hysterical, <laughs> screaming woman. Like, ah! like literally, she does yeah. that. It's like, ah. Yeah. Well, and then she's like screaming at her child, yeah, too, like, when like Amabella is not telling them what's going on at school and refuses to say who's hurting her. And she's just yelling at her daughter. She's yelling at her husband. She's yelling at the nanny. She's yelling at Jane. She's yelling at the principal. I mean, she just yells at everyone. And I'm like, girlfriend, aren't you tired? <laughs> yeah. It's... Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just uh, yeah i mean i just i yeah it's it's something i tell Mm -hmm. you but i think uh, also laura dern's kind of representation i did i i loved to hate this is our love to hate moment where she would have the whole like i'm like the nicest person in the world and let's talk about this let's be rational adults and then when it's not getting where she wants it to go then she starts to get really snippy and vipery yeah. and so like that flip you can see it she's like okay bitch you want to fight let's fight and you so don't want to play nice okay those- i'll play dirty yeah, instead exactly and so you she did a really good job of flipping the switch really fast where she's like kill you with kindness and that's not working so i'm just gonna kill you yeah. <laughs> like so I did really like her delivery, even though, again, so over the top. But her performance yeah. of it. Yeah, it's not the actors. It's the writing. Yeah, not the actors' fault. Yeah. I did want to get your take on um, what you thought of the representation of Jane in the show. Yeah. So we were talking earlier about the representation of uh, the emotions women are allowed to have after trauma, specifically the rape trope of being yep. the aggressively angry and unemotion- or unemotional and strong woman. So when we see Jane, mm-hmm. she's dressed all in black the entire Very time. monotone. Monotone, mm-hmm. black and dark. She stands out that way. Um, and again, oddly aggressive. <laughs> uh, and very angry. Carries a gun. Yeah, there's a gun. Jesus, I hate that. Because in, in the book, you know, she's a young mother and, you know, she has, you know, some issues in the book, but she's a good mom. Mm-hmm. She has a gun in the sh- in the show that she carries to for safety and to feel safe for herself which is fine valid mm-hmm. to have especially as a single mom and single woman you know who's had some who's trauma. Had trauma reasonable response she mm-hmm. sleeps as we said in the living room on a fold-out couch her child is a sleepwalker like she wakes up several times to the kid just standing above her and her reaction is always <gasps> it's always a startled response she keeps the gun under her pillow and she's also woken up to the kid in her bed and i know it's like what are you doing jesus christ gun safety anyone gun safety newspaper stories you see all the time of like parents accidentally shooting their kids this is how it happens or kids 
Yep, or kids, or kids finding, finding it and, it and saying, shooting themselves. Like, yes, like oh, I know, I know. This is a tragedy waiting to happen, and you are a good mom. Why are you doing this? Like, get a gun safe and put it next to the bed if you have to. But like, well, and they show that she's got it locked in a drawer next to the bed, but then she keeps pulling it out at night. It's like, what's the point of a locked drawer <laughs> if you're not locking it in the drawer? And, and then like, there's like this side quest of like. She tells Madeline about her trauma and Madeline mm-hmm. finds not even the guy, sh- the guy, she finds a guy with a similar name in the same general a, area, that a they similar were. related <laughs> area and a yeah. similar ish kind of job. And it's like, is this the guy? And since it's a visual medium, she can't just go, uh, no, it's not him. She's like, I don't know. I'd have to hear the voice, but it's convenient. Uh, yeah. Right. But Mm-mm. she goes there with the I gun, with the gun. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. she's like, I, I, that entire scene, I could not help but like assume like the point of view of the guy and this super yeah. weird, intense woman who just comes and like stares you down and then sniffs him, sniffs him, <laughs> and then oh surprise, she's got a gun in her bag. It's like mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! The again, oddly aggressive because a woman who's suffered a trauma, the only emotions she's supposed to have about it are aggression and rage. She's not allowed. Mm-hmm to be sad or depressed about it and to muddle her way through and find her own reasons to live. No, she has to like have a gun and dress in black and whistle to angry music and go on a mission to, to meet the guy. And in the book, like she wanted to meet the guy and kind of like have this weird, like look at what came of it conversation with him. But no, she wants to go there and what do you do with a gun? Murder. <laughs> like, hey, what, best case, severely injured. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she has a lot of recurring dreams where she's running on the beach after the actual event had happened where she's like in her little cocktail dress and she's chasing after this mystery man down the beach and then shoots And him. also dreams like, of she's people got... breaking into the house and shooting them, which again, is super yeah. dangerous when you have a sleepwalking child around and a gun yeah. under your pillow. I know. The whole yeah, thing so was making lot... me nervous the yeah. entire time. <laughs> I know it was very much an Alfred Hitchcock kind of like tension bringer of like, is something going to happen with the gun? That is, we know it's there because it keeps coming up. Like it, yeah, mm. it was interesting. Yeah, and the whole time that they're like, you know, describing the murder in the beginning, like going way into detail about all the injuries they've suffered. And it's like, for, considering mm-hmm. what the murder happened, it's like, the, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that miter. Yeah. What well, happened? Well, first I just, I just want to finish up with oh, yeah. Is like, yeah. So like just weirdly aggressive because those are the only emotions in media that women are allowed to have about their trauma. I, as much yeah. as you, like want them to be angry and to get over it and to, you know, find their resolve that way and get revenge. I, I liked mm-hmm. Jane's approach in the book more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was different. And I think we kind of talked about this a little bit offline, but one thing I will say about when Jane tells Madeline in the book versus the show, I will say, I think that the book I don't know. It, it seemed like Madeline kind of was a little bit more dismissive of that information of like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. Moving on. Whereas the show, Reese Witherspoon's depiction of like genuine shock and being extremely distraught for her friend and knowing that this had happened to her. I think they did a slightly more realistic kind of exchange of what that kind of a of an exchange would be with a friend. Like you find out your friend has gone through this trauma and then you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that she's been keeping this to herself and hasn't been talking to anybody. And like that kind of exchange, I think, was a little bit better represented in the show. But then 
Jane overall as her healing path was much more was 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 I think was a better representation or less of a, a over the top representation. Yeah. More internal versus like I did a thing and I got yeah. my power back even though it was against the wrong person. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and for the book when she told Madeline, I think Madeline was just trying to appear like calm for her friend as she's telling her this, but at the same time, as part of Madeline's character flaw as a shit stirrer, she did yeah. kind of treat it like a bit of hot gossip, especially yeah. when and I didn't really yeah, care especially for that. when Jane asked yeah. her like, "Don't look him up, don't try to find him." And what does she do? And then she, she immediately did. tries to find him. <laughs> yeah, and then she immediately tells Celeste yes. because in the book, that's a really big pivotal point. Actually, in the book, they look it up and realize that the name it's Saxon Banks is the name that this guy gave, and apparently. Um, Perry, Celeste's husband, has a cousin named Saxon Banks. And so now they're convinced that it's Perry's cousin who is the rapist. And then, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. lo and behold, the day of the murder, it comes to head and they realize that it's actually Perry was using his cousin's name as an alias and sexually assaulting women. So, yeah, very different where in the show they say it's Saxon Banks is some rando like interior designer has nothing to do with any of them. Like he's just in like seen a post or something like that. And they just go yeah. and find him. And his, his name isn't even Saxon Banks. It's Saxon like, Banker Saxon or something. something it's like slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like kind of, it's like sort of name, close. sort of area, sort of general age like, range. Job. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of age range. Like, is this the guy? I don't I'd have to hear his voice. Like, yeah <laughs> yeah it was yeah very interesting when also uh in the book there's this interaction between jane and heather where jane kind of like kicks sand at heather and like oh, a confrontation yeah, in the book yeah and like heather blows it up to be like an assault kind of thing and it just kind of goes to show how everyone's oh just like God, yeah. you know stirring shit up in the show jane actually hits renata yeah, scratches like, her eye almost pokes her eye yeah, out she, yeah she's like wait an so eye like, patch it's so dramatic <laughs> committed actual assault against someone yeah yeah <laughs> and so it's, it's not just like you know oh like people are stirring shit up it's like no she, they can be legitimately upset about it because Jane actually hit somebody. Yeah, like actually assaulted someone. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. She justifies the behavior that people have against yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. There's <sighs> kind of in a similar way where if, like after like the initial like finger pointing incident of like Iggy joke me thing, like Madeline's kid kind of tries to intervene and, and like, smooth the oh, situation over. So yeah. she convinces Iggy to get Annabella to forgive him by convincing him to kiss her. Which is like, kids be kids, they don't understand, but at the same time, now he has, quote unquote, assaulted her. Assaulted her. Yeah. He has kissed her without consent. And it's like, Ugh. now you are legitimizing the accusations yeah. that the parents are Which having is unfortunate because kids don't understand yeah. the ramifications, right? No, so yes. It's not the kids' That's... fault, it's the parents are not dealing yeah. with their shit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why, like I said, you... As much as I hate the term, because people abuse it, you got to let kids kid. You got to let them kids be kids. But you have to have the parents there to guide the behavior. You can't yell at them like, you did a bad thing. You have to sit down and explain to them that we understand why you did what you did. And, you know, we'd like for you guys to be friends. But Iggy, this is why you can't do this. And Amabella, how do you feel about what happened? And just kind of leave it. Yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep, I know. It's just everything's on fire, man. Um, but yeah. they... they they justify the the escalating behavior by having Jane actually assault someone and by having Iggy non-consensually 
touch Amabella and it's just uh, again raising that dial to 11 <laughs> yep and there's a lot more anger around Jane trying to confront Iggy about did you do it and it's like you need to tell me the truth you have to and she's she's pretty aggressive towards Iggy and then Iggy's also pretty aggressive towards her because he wants to know who his biological father was and so there's like a school project where they have to make a family tree and he loses his shit because they don't have photos or any sort of information like just tell me his name what's his name of the dad and she's like he doesn't have a name and she, and he loses it and so there's a lot more aggression around just that whole dynamic in general like in the book when the situation pops up like you know Iggy is trying to press the issue like who's my dad just tell me his name I need his name for the project I need his name for the project and Madeline is able to diffuse it by just saying oh you just put Ziggy's dad can you spell it out yep. for me show me how you spell it out and you interact with my child who's a similar age they are yep. that like, oh yeah totally that works yeah <laughs> moving on yeah <laughs> yeah yeah which is totally like relatable and understandable but no you have to have the child like you know again weirdly aggressive yeah for being like this sweet, sweet and child storm out. and then all of a sudden have this yeah. burst out like uh, outburst of like just not normal behavior and and they also have a lot of it's very interesting because the the cinematography style for when iggy is is sleepwalking they make it like very ominous and very creepy of like he's the spawn of something evil and he's standing yeah. over your bed while you're asleep and it's terrifying like that's kind of the vibe they give whenever she like wakes with a start because he's just creepily standing there which to be fair is kind of creepy but the way that they kind mm -hmm. of shot that it, it really does allude to a lot of very kind of darker sinister things of like this child is was brought from evil doings and is going to be evil himself <laughs> yeah dun, dun, dun. yeah it was like the vibe i was getting a lot from watching these kids is like you know uh, they're good actors it was like these kids don't have like kids. nope <laughs> nope yeah Ooh, something i did want to bring up though unless you have other thoughts on jane um i just realized i didn't mention this in the beginning of like the highlights but um perry is played by alexander skarsgård yes and again, fantastic oh, performance. Oh my god. I as much as you hate the character, fantastic performance. Yes. Like he is terrifying. He's absolutely <laughs> terrifying for sure. He is the abusive husband and he does such a good job portraying the kind of stereotypical amazing father figure doting upon his wife to the public. Like he does a really good job of being super charming and beautiful and just like a handsome handsome gentleman. And then that flip a switch moment where he is extremely violent and very abusive. And I think he did a phenomenal job of playing that character. But I'm curious, like, what were your thoughts on that in comparison to the book? Oh, no, I thought he was perfect yeah. because um, and I think that he is actually the closest representation. I in the think book so, of all too, honestly. Yeah, like almost exactly, which is good because it's the relatable it's, he is relatable as much as he's a, a horrible asshole. human being. Yeah. A horrible human being is relatable because he, you kind of get the outside view of like, yeah, you don't see the violence that he, you see the picture perfect man he is portraying to the world and to his own kids and his family. Um, but you see the instances where like the anger Absolutely. starts. And it's, oh. and just how the situation is slowly veering. So tense out of the lane yeah and just you, all you can do is just sit there and watch it happen knowing it's coming it's like watching a train Absolutely. coming at you yeah uh, and you're just wondering how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen and how it's going how the tension is going to be released and it, he 
and, you know, given how they've like amped up everyone else's flaws and given them more problems, you know, I'm just glad that he's not just like a hundred percent, like, you know, violent bad yeah. guy. He's still able to portray both the sides. Good one. Yeah. Cause that's yeah, huge. Slowly escalate the behavior. Yeah. That's yeah. a huge character development because the whole problem is that he looks picture perfect on the outside and in the book, especially they comment like they're posting all these beautiful photos and experiences on Facebook. And he's making a very big effort to appear that their family is perfect. And so he, I think he nailed it. I, he really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God, their whole relationship is just like tension the entire oh time because you, you know never know what's going to set him off. And you know, it's not even going to be immediate. It's not going to be, she says something and bam, it's, she says something and it he just stops. It's like the, the, the uh, flame's been lit and now you're just waiting for the to water catch. to boil. Yeah. 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 And it's like, ah, yeah. And it's, it's, so it's like from a tension standpoint, it's great. <laughs> great amazing. TV. Amazing uh, performance. Yes. Cause there's a lot of things where it's like he, it sounds like he goes out of town a lot for work. So he's traveling a lot. So then there's a lot of tension building where he's like, oh, well, I was thinking I'm going to actually leave a day later so that I can be with you and the kids. And then she's like, oh, well, I already made plans because you said you weren't going to be here. And he's like, oh, I see. So you don't want me there? And then it just kind of blows up from there. She's like, you're not here. I have to make decisions to carry on with the life while you're out. And he's like, oh, you don't think I want to be with my family? You think that I enjoy not being here with you? And it's like these kind of realistic ways of how that kind of anger would start and where it escalates from. And it's, oh, it's just chilling. It's chilling. And I think he did an, an amazing job of portraying that. Yeah, and like Alexander Skarsgård, he does a lot of acting with. Oh, he's so things. expressive, and so oh. he's so expressive. So when the anger like starts, oh, but he's like so scary. It in, you can see it on the face, and it's so scary. But also when he's like, you know, trying to say, "I can," oh, I'm so sorry, I can do. It's like he looks so pitiful. Face, he looks so pitiful and sad and upset with himself, and it's. I know. It's like, oh man, it's like you can. It's as much as you want to be like, "Go, girl, get out of there," or think to yourself, "I would never be in this situation if, like, you know, if." Alexander Skarsgård. That's the face you're seeing. <laughs> where my man, and that's the face he's saying, and he's like, you know, hits you, and he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I didn't mean I it. I didn't mean for that to yeah. happen. And it's like, it won't happen again. I'm so sorry. And even though you know it's going to happen again, you, you would believe want it. to believe it, and you allow yourself to believe it, because he looks like that. I know. Not to say that it's because he's beautiful, but because he looks sincere. He really does. Yeah. And I think one of the kind of more powerful moments of that, like, what, what looks like sincerity, but maybe it's just him kind of, you know, running with it until it doesn't work anymore is that very first scene where they go to the therapist together and she's like, what brought you in today? And like, what, what would you like to talk about? And he has this whole speech of how he's like, you know, I feel like I'm not good enough for her and that I, she's going to just leave me at a moment's notice. And I just feel like I'm, I'm constantly having to just wait for the penny to drop that she's just going to leave me. And I, I get angry because I feel like there's nothing that I can do that I don't deserve her. And like, he kind of goes into this whole thing and it's like, it looks so genuine where he really does truly believe that she is so perfect and well above what he deserves. And it's like, oh my gosh, you like, you feel for him. But then at the same time, you see the shit that he does to her before and after that point you're like dude what is wrong with you and it's a like, diff- different form of attack because he immediately puts her on the defensive against right the therapist. yeah yeah so then she's trying to defend him instead of talking about actual issues that they should be talking about and that again you see that later when just celeste goes back 
to the therapist and she's constantly defending him saying he's an amazing father he would never hurt the kids he is so loving when he's when it's a good day you know like he there's a lot of justification that she gives but oh my god it's just it's heartbreaking because it is really amazing acting from him and I think that honestly he played really well against Nicole Kidman I think the two of them were really well paired together I really did I think they were the best couple representation even though it was all like hyped up to 11 but I think that they did the best job between the two of them Mm -hmm. man they were fantastic yeah and I think parts of the scenes with the therapist I think were some of my I guess not favorite, but I think more of the memorable scenes, especially when Celeste is going by herself, because the therapist is presenting to this to her. She's like, you're a lawyer. You know how this is going to go. If you're not documenting your abuse, you don't tell somebody you're not trying to seek safety. And then what happens when you try to leave? this kind of guy that your husband is is going to try to go for full custody and he will get it because of his power his influence his money and he is tenacious he will not quit so she's like trying to present this in a way it's like you understand how cases like this go you are a lawyer you need to prepare for this and it was a very different approach than what you see in the book they don't really touch nearly as much on the actual full interactions of the therapist in the in the book i felt well in the book um like celeste very much has to seek out the help herself she has to yes. decide she's ready to leave yes and in the show again the therapist is oddly aggressive weirdly aggressive <laughs> but she, i think I, it's she's worried for her safety so i kind of feel like that's a little bit more merited but yeah she, she is but at the same time I, I i believe the other one is like worried for her safety in the book because like once she's established that abuse is happening she goes through a questionnaire of exactly what the abuse looks like and she's like okay next step is making a plan to get you out uh, it wasn't just more talking and like, oh, schedule more sessions and see how it goes. Like, no, okay, like this is you what we're yeah. All right, here's how it looks. All right, here's your next steps. <laughs> In the show, Celeste gets her book wish of wanting a therapist to just see through the veil and pick up the, you know, the hints that you know things aren't what they seem, and yeah. get confronted by it, pushed into acknowledging it, and pushed into yeah. making the decision to go. Uh, like it's yeah. very not it's very much not typical therapist behavior no 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 not at all um, especially especially yeah. since in like future sessions she ends up driving celeste away celeste doesn't go back right he's very aggressive about perry and what he's doing and what celeste needs to do and not allowing celeste to like breathe and acknowledge the situation she's like no go 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 kind yeah. of thing which is like you know from an audience yeah. point of view we want that because we're worried about celeste and we know something's bad going to happen but from like a therapist client actual relationship yeah that's not how you do it like it's what you want to do but you have to you have to make them want to help themselves and then help them help you can't force them yeah yeah and i yeah that's you're totally right i think another kind of they actually make a point of that in the show too where celeste is like i don't think that this is uh I feel like this is not what you should be telling me as my therapist. And so she kind of calls her out. But then it's like, I they kind of can get away with it a little bit in the show where it's like Celeste is in denial. And so she's saying these things not because she actually thinks that the therapist shouldn't be saying these things because she doesn't want to hear it because she knows it's true. So I think that's kind of where they're able to balance it a little bit in the show. But you're absolutely right. Like that is not the role of a therapist to bash you over the head with it until you come to grips with it. Like <laughs> that's not how that works. <laughs> Good. Now they come around to my point of view. Yeah. Let's work from there. Let's nah. fix that. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, everything. Um, moral of the story: everything was so aggressive, y'all. Yeah, everything. Just weirdly literally, aggressive. Literally everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can I talk for a second about like? Uh, well, actually, let's talk about the murder first. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we haven't even talked about the murder. Let's talk yeah. about the murder. Because again, that's not what the story is about. <laughs> <laughs> It, it like you know edges you about murder and then it's like oh it's oh okay it's not what it's about, i guess okay <laughs> i guess we're done <laughs> yeah so who's the victim <laughs> the victim is perry mm-hmm. mr who, perry yeah and who is the perpetrator so it's it's bonnie yeah bonnie is the one who leads to the death of perry we'll put it yeah. that way yeah so i because like the book if i remember correctly it is more of an accident I think it was an accident either way. I do not think the intention of either book or show was murder or death. No, even. but I mean, one was much more forceful than the other. And by that, I mean the show. The show, she literally yeah. shoves him down the stairs and he snaps his neck and dies. Well, on, in the uh, book, they're on a, a balcony and he gets shoved off the balcony and dies. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I, I say is more probable for death, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Considering yeah. height. But also considering, like you know, the height of him and the height, typical height of the, of the deck, like it, an average person who is shoved should not have fallen over. But everyone is very drunk. Everyone is very upset. Yeah. He's tall enough to have gone over it. So when she shoved him, it's like, oh, it was a bit too hard. Over he went and he died. In the show. She full force runs at him and shoves him down the stairs. Well, like they've been like, you know, like showing these stairs this entire show i know <laughs> right enough, where there's like there's like caution tape on them where stairs no- <laughs> yeah and there's no reason for the caution tape either it's like why is this here why is everyone trying to be constantly walking over and there's nothing visible to show why this is here i think it was like-, like under construction and hadn't been finished yet i think that was the whole point because he he lands on like a pipe yeah or something well, no, he lands on stairs i think there's something puncturing his throat I, I in the show i think the- and, uh, I, no but I mean, doesn't matter because it's, it's a confused, jumbled mess. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so they're like arguing at the top of these like large, ominous stairs, and like uh, in both the book and the show, well, actually more in the show, actually, mm-hmm. like Perry is like wailing on Celeste, like everything's yes. gone out the window. He realizes he's losing her; she's not coming back. Um, he is and so beating her senseless, beating her senseless. He's like knocking all the other women over, and they're just like uh, frail women, just like wailing against the big strong man. Yeah, I know. I hated that. Uh, and and there's Bonnie like lurking in the shadows. Uh, <laughs> and Zoe Kravitz at it again. <laughs> and we don't know it in the show, but in the book, it explained that Bonnie has trauma from abuse in her yeah, family. Her father was abusive. Yeah, yeah, her father was abusive to her and her and her mom, and she had like sworn never to let it happen again. And so, yeah, her so big thing of serious issues with that confronting him, and he's can he had been like hurting Celeste, but he wasn't actively doing it at the time. And like you know, talking about the kids, like oh they don't see anything. And she's like you know we see, we fucking see, and then shove, um, yeah. kind of thing. Whereas in the show we don't know that about bonnie but she's clearly having like a some sort of moment. trauma issues yeah. yeah and so has a trauma response of run yell and shove mm-hmm. so i think the shove was intended but i don't think she was like oh he's on the stairs i'm gonna shove him it was now. to he's save die. celeste yeah. not yeah or to save herself if she was kind of yeah yeah, yeah. so the in, a little intent bit. in yeah. both was not murder i think the book the actual shove was more intense I mean, intended, whereas in the show, it seemed more of a trauma response. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Both yeah. an accident, though. Yeah, it, it was. Ew, yeah, I think 
and, and also very interesting at the very end when this confrontation happens in the in the book um the spouses are all there and the mm -hmm. wives are all i mean everybody's there there's like eight six eight nine people there yeah and then in the show it's only the women so the men mm -hmm. have no idea except obviously for perry until he dies yeah but it's very interesting how they have like this kind of weirdly unifying moment of like we did a merger and we're going to cover it up and then mm -hmm. they they don't ever speak of it after that at the end of the show and then all of a sudden renata and madeline and celeste and jane and bonnie are all like yay we're all friends on the beach and yeah. all our kids are playing that's what I together each like scene of just like frolicking on the beach they're all wearing we lights and light together. colors and we're also they're free happy and giggling and carefree it's like no i've i've been in a mom group who took kids to the beach and that shit does not happen that way <laughs> and no one's that happy about it okay well it's because you don't have enough money julie to yeah, appreciate that's the how problem, great the really. beach is yeah. i don't have enough money to wear white to the beach and be okay with that <laughs> and have a french nanny have a french nanny <laughs> yeah that was a weird little like ending moment of like it unified us as women to watch them murder someone, but they saved another woman. Mm -hmm. It was for a good cause. <laughs> well, states mumming words about why Bonnie did it, as even though it was clearly, you know, in in a form of self defense or defense of others, and it was totally an accident because he was shoved down the stairs and not actively like hacked apart, like they were kind of hinting at with the description of the yeah. injuries of him. It's like, why are you saying it this way? It's like, no, just say like he got shoved down the. He got he fell down some stairs. We're determining if it was an accident was pushed or on purpose. Or yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like you don't need to go in graphic detail about like, you know, he suffered like, you know, a serious injury to the head and the spine and like blood everywhere. It's like, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. There was a lot of buildup and you're then making you're like, this oh. sound like a hatchet murder. <laughs> I know. It did sound very grotesque in comparison, like, oh, this dude fell down some stairs aggressively. The end. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Uh yeah, and it, it yeah, they did a lot more emphasis on like the the whole like drama leading up to like the the investigator of the police investigator is like they're lying i know they're lying and then they're like but it was self-defense worst case scenario like 12 months community service out in three and then she's like yeah but why lie like what's the point and they never really yeah it's like they just address that it and then let it go into the ether yeah and they're and like we'll never know yeah and like <laughs> celeste's a lawyer she'd know that oh yeah Totally. She could tell Bonnie, and she could like offer to give like you know, if not represent Bonnie, obviously conflict of interest, but like you know, have lawyer connections and would be able oh, to yeah. assist with the defense and everything. Oh like yeah, that. totally. Like, like there is yeah. a justified reason for what happened if she's totally. getting the shit kicked out of her. Yes, this was like a like, one hundred percent justified accident. Absolutely, death. you have four witnesses all yeah. seeing her getting completely demolished by her enraged husband yeah. it was absolutely self -defense. there's like bruises on her that's like i know clearly what's what has happened and yeah. jesus christ and like yeah. in the book all that happens and like there's this instant of like you know i'm spartacus like and you know, i'm not gonna say anything i'm not gonna say anything and the men folk are like what and like i'm not gonna say anything and like mm -hmm. there's a, a little you know a bit of tension between um madeline and ed because he's like yeah I don't, he's like, I don't think i, I don't feel comfortable doing this I yeah i'm gonna do it and uh, before he has to, because he's like on his way to like give testimony to the police, Bonnie says, "I'm I'm gonna come clean. I'm 
it is like less than a day. <laughs> right, because she's full of guilt, yeah, honestly. It's, it's That's like, horrendously gonna, traumatizing. Yeah, like, I'm going to come clean. You know, I'm just going to tell everyone what happened. I'm going to tell the police what happened. I'm going to go there now. And uh, if, if, if big kudos to her. She like was talking to Celeste about it. And Celeste was like, I, I would keep the secret for you. She's like, I'm not going to ask you to keep secrets anymore. I'm not going to yeah. force you to do that for me. And yeah. that is the only punishment she gets. It's like community service, done. Um, yeah. Which is more realistic yeah. because it was absolutely self-defense. Yeah. And uh, Madeline yeah. was able to like call Ed and tell him like, don't worry, you don't have to lie. You know, yeah. Bodies and turn out. yourself in. And he's like, I would have lied for you. And she's like, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> but, but bless you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, a, kind of like a good showing of their relationship. Because I think if he had gone and tried to lie, it would have damaged their relationship. But since he didn't have to, they're kind of allowed to acknowledge each other's flaws in their relationship. Yeah. And just say, thank goodness we didn't have to test the waters with that and moving Yeah. Because that would be a true trial to see how much your relationship would last knowing it's like i went against my moral compass to not lie about something this big that's a huge burden Mm -hmm. so yeah yes in the book i mean in the show burden free look at how happy we are frolicking on the beach with our secret of death (laughs) yeah right right well fun fact you haven't seen season two but there is a season two and they address that I read like what happens just because it's should I watch this? The answer is no. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, though, Meryl Streep is in it in Uh season two, and she's pretty diabolically good, too. She's Perry's mother. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Yeah. We we won't get into that. But if Mm -hmm. you do want to watch it, you let me know, because I'm dying to know like the the, the, you think it's 11 in season one. Oh, Mm -hmm. girlfriend. All I do know Uh, that's that's relevant to like the topic of the book is that instead of like, you know, the next day saying I'm going to turn myself in, it's like, what, two years in the show? Um, I don't remember what the time is, but it's definitely not a day. (laughs) Jesus. And then in the meantime, it's just like Bonnie kind of spirals Mm -hmm. out of control because she is so riddled with guilt. Yeah. And is not talking to anybody and the husbands don't know. So she can't tell her husband. So yeah, there's like, it's a whole other thing in the, in the show. But, um, something that I think I, I I think we could talk about this forever, but one final thing I think about the book comparison that I wanted to bring up is the very end of the book Mm -hmm. and what Celeste does. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love how they ended this. So she ends up working with her therapist to basically be a, she, she's a presenter at a, um, like a violence workshop or something, mm-hmm. or she goes to some sort of um, conference and speaks out about her experience as a domestic violence survivor and just really coming to terms with it in full view of the public for the first time. And it's a huge moment for her. And I I really, really, really loved that ending. I thought that was a really powerful statement because there isn't technically a main character of this story, but I feel like Celeste has definitely come the farthest out of any of the three women that are focused on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that ending because kind of like I would discuss with the therapy in general is that in the book, Celeste makes the steps to get an individual therapist and to Mm -hmm. explain what's going on and chooses to make steps um, to... Uh, leave and Mm -hmm. be safe and take her kids with her Um, in the show she's more or less bullied into it by her therapist and flees a therapist like we don't see her ever go back and so that ending does not really make sense for celeste because um she kind of did but kind of didn't choose this situation for herself she was forced to make it 
Yeah, totally. Bullied and guilted into making it for the sake of her kids. Um, yeah. And yeah, very different tone. Yeah, it's like, like kind of like we discussed before. It's like uh, with the language surrounding, like, are you a victim or a survivor? She mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to make that distinction for herself. She was pushed she into was becoming told. a survivor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally different tone. And I, I just think that was such a beautiful way to, I was really surprised by that ending because again, I'd seen the show first. So I was like, wow, this is nothing Mm -hmm. like the show. And I'd already seen second season by the time I read the book and they don't touch on that at all in the second season either. There's Mm -hmm. nothing like that ever comes up. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense for the characters. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, it didn't make any sense in the context they gave. So I... I just thought that was such a beautiful way to wrap it up. And it was a really like of all the crazy shit that had happened in the book. It was like a weirdly uplifting ending, even though it ended in a murder. She loses her husband, but then she's like weirdly free. But it's not because of the murder of her husband. It's because she actually finally came to grips and was like actually like working through her trauma in a way that was helping her and potentially helping others. And she's like, it was just a very compassionate and like interesting way to end it. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, because like in the in the book, um, outside of the violence, which is like the obvious problem, like mm-hmm. just her living situation weighed on her so much that she was like often described as like distracted. Yeah, and, and she's totally all over the place. Spacey, yeah, because when she's like spacing out like that, she's th- she's worrying about this constantly. Yeah, constantly. And yeah. so uh, now at the end, when she's finally allowed to move on from that and and kind of learn how you live with this and live beyond it, that sort of story ending makes sense and is good for her because now she's able to be more than just the spacey, flighty person obsessed with how her life is going um, at the time. And the show, we see that she's still like a semi-capable person uh, like she like does a little lawyering on the side, which Perry's very upset about. And kind of like we kind of hinted, he was the reason she was no longer a lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of like acknowledging that things aren't always perfect. Like she breaks down with Madeline in the car after she has like a bit of lawyering. Um, yeah. And yeah, still like, you know, does some legal research on the side and blah, 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 blah. Whereas in the, sh- in the book, she's like very much self doubts her own, self-worth all the time which is like one of those side effects of being abused it's not just you have physical pain right it changes you mentally well and you think of like all of the kind of conditioning that happens with a relationship like that where first you start cutting off the kind of normal things that you're doing like a job then you start cutting off your friend groups then you start cutting off your family then it's all that you have is this relationship. There's nothing else to lean back on because you've been completely alienated from everything that used to be a system. And so they they really show that in the book. And I think there's definitely snippets of it in the show, um, like especially when she does the little like mini lawyer assistance for Celeste or uh, for uh, for Madeline. And then Perry makes the comment of like, I thought you said you weren't doing that anymore. What did we talk? I thought we discussed this, that you weren't, you were not to go back to work. Like that's not, it's not good for you. And so like, yeah, the dynamic there is, it's very interesting how they kind of bring those layers up. But yeah, the alienation is a huge factor (laughs) in relationships like that. And it's, Mm -hmm. oh, Julie. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, did we do it? 
think so. Do you have anything else? I mean, hold on. I've got like a whole like notes app I was taking. <laughs> the so many notes. <laughs> Screaming into the void. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the summarization overall is if you like things to be constantly chaos and everything's on fire all the time, then this is the show for you, my friend. Yeah, my, my main note at the top was they're uh, less like real people and more like complete TV characters. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like very reality TV, but with a very pretty like finish. Polish, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is very much like reality TV, but um, Almost way bigger polished, budget. Honestly. Yep. And I think that's, again, the aesthetic mm-hmm. of the director. Because that I feel like there was a very similar feel in sharp objects and i think that's that might just be his flavor um and he really likes to make people go crazy and over the top <laughs> i guess <laughs> let's just break a little ghost pepper on this hot mess oh uh, yeah, yeah pretty much <laughs> just drop that and walk away um yeah so you know really enjoyed sharp objects not so much this one but you know there were moments there were moments for sure um performance all right performances i think yes yes. i think performances definitely kind of carried it most of the way and then not quite all the way um well on that lovely note before we sign off what are you doing what are you reading what are you experiencing right now uh well not reading much at the moment because like i said you know uh reading with a baby i just fall asleep (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i will read again one day when i am one day, someday. Usual hours of sleep in the night. <laughs> uh, but as far as like watching, I finally got around to watching the new uh, Star Trek show, uh, Strange New Worlds. <gasps> Ooh, how is it? I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Good. <laughs> it's, it's like watching uh, if they were to start the original series now. Is, is, oh, yeah. Especially okay. Since it's set in that same era, more or less. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. It's like watching it, it's like I can't help but feel that uh, Gene Roddenberry would be very happy to see his original captain, Captain Pike, brought back to life and allowed oh. to have a show. Yeah. Yay. Uh, and it's delightful and confusing and space opera y. Like they have their <laughs> Star Trek, like, you know, deep philosophical episodes. They also have their silly episodes and they have their. Sp- fun space adventure episodes you just nice. put them all in there i think i ranted to you a little bit of go like erin there's a musical <laughs> episode of star trek and i am bewildered and delighted at the same time <laughs> i love all of this yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> i'm so happy that there's a niche for you finally of those two worlds yes. combined <laughs> it's so weird they had a sci-fi reason as to why it was happening but it happened i love it i love it so much yeah i haven't checked it out yet what mm-hmm. what is it on is it hulu paramount paramount that's yes. why i don't have paramount well, then you just gotta come web. over and we'll watch it i'll show you that episode <gasps> okay done <laughs> name a, the day two words wrapping klingons oh my god yes <laughs> <laughs> say no more yes. <laughs> that sounds incredible yeah. okay well now i must mm-hmm. now I'm, it's it's, yeah. a, it's a need now what are you up to <gasps> what am i up to i just finished a book not too long ago that is called The River Has Teeth mm. by Erica Waters. And it is a very, it was very interesting. I, the cover is what got my eye. It's a very pretty cover. Um, but it's basically a, oh, what's the genre? It's a, it's magic 
but it's also a true crime story and it mm. takes place in i think louisiana somewhere in the south yeah. and there's um there are suspicious missing persons and murders occurring in a rougher area of the kind of boondock areas of the of the town and um mysterious things are happening and there is a family of witches who are are they up to no good or is it all a lie mm. um very very interesting so there's um some like cool little folklore and magic stuff blended in with just kind of small town mentality of point to the outsiders whenever something bad happens. Yeah. Um, Supernatural murder mystery. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. Supernatural mm. murder. Blah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. That it's very, it's very interesting. Um, also it has some really awesome, like LGBTQ plus kind of representation in there, which love that. So that was really fun to find. I did not know that until I read it. So that was fun. Yeah, bonus. <laughs> Woo! So yeah, it's, it was quite good. Um, I highly recommend if you want some kind of interesting, different magic fantasy yeah. vibes. Always down for the fantasy. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Miss Julie. Always oh, It's such a nice treat to have you. And we talked about yet more deep, dark sadness that is our souls. Yes. And I appreciate that. <laughs> How we shed light on the black hole. I know. And to be honest, I was going to share this book and or talk about how many other depressing documentaries I've been watching. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would go with the book and we can highlight other cool <laughs> documentaries later. <laughs> As we do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> little Waco, Little Fundamentalist Mormonism. Oh, you know, you know all that good stuff. Yes. Yeah, super light. Keep it light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. All right. Uh, well, thank you for joining me. Yeah. Always a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for sticking it out once again. And uh, see you next time. Uh, bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>